Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, so uh, the other day we had uh, day one of the House Oversight Committee looking at uh, Twitter and social media and the collusion of outfits like Twitter with the FBI. Yesterday, we had day one of the uh, House Select Committee on the weaponization of government chaired by Congressman Jim Jordan. And uh, I thought he started out uh, nicely with just a litany of what whistleblowers have told members of Congress. You had senators come over and testify before this committee, Grassley and Johnson, because they've had interaction with FBI whistleblowers too. Uh, but uh, uh, interesting laundry list of the allegations made by FBI whistleblowers. And when I l- was listening to him tick off this list, which you'll hear in just a second, I was struck by the lack of any stories over the same time period about whistleblowers within the FBI complaining about right-wing political bias. Oh, that's right. Have you, have it you heard, only goes one way. Have yeah. you heard anything about uh, trying to put the FBI or DOJ trying to put their finger on the scales for uh, Republicans or for parents against teachers unions? Or none, nothing from the direction of the left complaining about the right, and we certainly know their, the, the, the political persuasions of I don't know, 30,000 FBI employees run the gamut. But all the whistleblower complaints are coming from one direction. I just thought it was telling. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, 
An FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent, and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Mm. And if this was uh, wrongdoing within a police department, for example, the left would be rallying to the defense of the whistleblowers and encouraging more whistleblowers to come forward because uh, thinking about you know this in this, the context of uh, urban police departments and the identity politics surrounding policing, as we know all too well, given the mayor's race at present, which we'll get to, but uh, but nothing here because the left has thrown in with the FBI because the FBI has thrown in with the left at the leadership level. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. And um, just building upon what uh, Jim Jordan said, as I mentioned, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, Senator Grassley, came over to offer uh, some comments before the Committee on Government Weaponization as well. And, uh, you know, day one, this thing is not going to be unpacked in a single day. None of these issues, particularly when you're looking at the FBI and then their relationships with other uh, heavy cultural heavyweights like big tech. Chuck Grassley on the whistleblowers surrounding Hunter Biden and Biden Inc., including the big guy. Other whistleblower disclosures to my office make clear that the FBI has within its uh, possession very significant, impactful, and voluminous evidence with respect to potential criminal conduct by Hunter and James Biden. These disclosures also allege that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them. We still aren't sure what's been done with this information. That's sort of a remarkable statement for a um, senator uh, in Grassley's position to make about the FBI. We've got these whistleblowers saying that uh, there are documents in possession of the FBI that are supposed to be part of an investigation, at least into Hunter Biden. We know we had an FBI agent retire early after he was trying to spike the investigation into Hunter Biden that was prompted, one of them that was prompted by the contents of his laptop. And yet, Jack Grassley, as of today, as we sit here in February of 2023, they still don't know what the FBI has done or not done with those documents. They have no idea what the status of the investigation is. And I know, I know, I know, I know. The FBI doesn't comment on pending investigations. Uh-huh. Yeah. Got a long way to go here, but this is the start of it. This is the setup. And so you have to give uh, the House Republicans... Some breathing space here. Comer following up on Jim Comer, the House Oversight Committee chairman, following up on that testimony you heard from Chuck Grassley, has requested more documents 
uh, related to Hunter uh, and uh, Hunter Biden's business dealings, as well as uh, those of uh, Joe Biden's brother, James. So uh, interesting times. Yeah. And one FBI agent who testified yesterday in front of this committee on government weaponization, uh, her name's Nicole Parker. And she it Miami was, field office. Yeah. Miami field office has always wanted to be an FBI agent, but it became politicized and she had to quit. Participating in the investigations of myriad criminal cases. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting in Parkland, Florida. The 2017 Fort Lauderdale airport shooting. The Caesar Syok pipe bomb case. Multi-million dollar Ponzi schemes. Crimes on the high seas, bank robberies, murders for hire, sexual assaults, extortions, and more. That's just yes, Hunter Biden. It was physically taxing and emotionally jarring. But I believed I was making an impactful difference. And every day I woke up and I embraced being an FBI special agent until things changed. Over the course of my 12 plus years, the FBI's trajectory has transformed. On Bureau, the papers. The Bureau's mission it remained the same, but its priorities and governing principles shifted dramatically. The FBI became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind. Those that do not uphold these responsibilities cause a negative ripple effect throughout the agency in the field. It's as if there became two FBI's. Americans see this and it is destroying the Bureau's credibility, causing Americans to lose faith in the agency and therefore the hardworking and highly ethical agents who still do the heavy lifting and pursue noble cases. It makes it very difficult for agents to do their job when the FBI loses the Uh, And I think that's all you need to hear. That's a pretty good (laughs) summation. Um, The two FBI she's talking about, the FBI at the central office in D.C. Mm-hmm. and the FBI that exists in the field offices around the country that do the uh, the the daily substantive law enforcement work that she described. And um, that's nice. And I, I hear what she's saying. And, I, and, you know, and I believe her and I believe that that viewpoint represents a lot of agents. I don't know how many. But I, I got to say, the um, the evidence suggests that just as the fish rots from the head down, so has the FBI, and it has affected the field offices. And and this would include Department of Justice too, because we have to include U.S. attorneys here as well. You can't tell me um, that what happened with Mark Houck in Pennsylvania is not evidence of what she's talking about impacting the field offices. I mean, the FBI agencies are targeting conservatives, and that's a graphic example. We, we also have this, I mean, concurrent to these committee hearings this week. Document released by, what, an FBI whistleblower indicated that the FBI had planned, had planned to intensify its assessment and mitigation of radical traditionalist Catholics Oh, yeah. Over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, due to concerns that white nationalists are increasingly making common cause with attendees of the Latin Mass. Are you serious? Oh, my God. Yes, they're serious. Well, and that's wh- a bit of a stretch, don't you think, Dan? I mean, come on. It's an invention. It's not a stretch. It's an invention. One has 
traditional Catholics who enjoy the Latin Mass. So, so the problem facing the the you know, the, the attendees of the Latin Mass at St. John Cantius are a threat to democracy. And what is the basis for that? Oh, uh, the Marxist Southern Poverty Law Center came up with a a report and included some people on the their bull jive hate watch list. And so now it's open season on conservative Catholics. You know, Jordan made this point, too. I mean, let's let's keep our wits about us. The IRS asking people to disclose their prayers before granted C3 status, targeting conservative groups in the heady days of Obama terms one and two. Didn't they want to see their sermons, their Sunday sermons first? Uh, that well, that's that's happened. I mean, that's happened at the federal level. That's happened at the local level with politicians like a former Houston mayor, uh, and in the pushback. So it stops, but it doesn't stop. It stops temporarily, just like Hillary Clare stopped the government takeover of health care temporarily, and then they backdoored it with Obamacare. They're not stopping. They're pausing. They're pausing when. This isn't the time. The pushback is such that this isn't the time. But it doesn't mean that their objective has changed or their passion to fulfill it. Uh, By the way, to my point, now that this whistleblower came forward and talked about the FBI's plans to intensify their scrutiny of conservative Catholics who enjoy the Latin mass. Oh, well, now they're they're. They're retracting that memo on radical traditional Catholics. Yeah, because I got. You know. I, I'll tell you. Um, so you know, I, I wish I could believe what Miss Parker, uh, former Agent Parker, said about the two FBI's, but increasingly, the one FBI has polluted the entire FBI, and there's a lot more to come in the coming weeks. I, at least, I certainly hope so, and I, I cannot wait for the next back and forth between members of uh, Jim Jordan's committee and FBI Director Christopher Wray. For starters, I'm looking forward to that. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The answer. What's up in the morning, Dan and Amy? Uh, didn't want to make a note of this because so many people had inquired about our friend John Cass and his health. 
You know, he went under the knife, quadruple bypass. When did that? I didn't know. Oh yeah, yeah. He was. He's been recovering at the Shirley Ryan uh, Ability Lab, and he uh, posted a picture of himself being uh, wheeled out of there like Hannibal nice. Lecter yesterday. <laughs> oh, uh, quadruple bypass, open heart surgery, amazing rehab from the great doctors, nurses, and therapists at Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. A month stay in the hospital finally ends. I'm going home. Love you all. So, uh, and I oh. talked to him last week. Um, yeah, yeah, last week. And uh, yeah, he was in good spirits, so okay. he's uh, he'll be he'll be back at it. So he's doing well, and I'm sure he uh, appreciates all the people who are interested and concerned yeah. about his health. And he looks healthy. And you know what? I'm going to give him a cat. I think he looks better. I also think <laughs> I he actually lo- thinks he looks good. I think he looks better with the beard. He's sporting yeah. a, a gray beard, you know, because he's old. Oh, no, because but, you know, yeah, but but I, shaving I, wasn't a priority when he was well, in the rehab. Center. Well, also for an intellectual of Cass's caliber, you know, yeah. the beard adds to the oh, gravitas, right. yes. to the yeah. intrigue. It, he, we're in, John Cass is in the beard stage <laughs> of his life now, <laughs> and uh, I think that's great. Uh, all right, so there's John all right, Cass. Good. All right, so we'll you didn't be laugh at my cat joke. Hearing from him soon. By the way, he doesn't like cats. I know that's why I want to give him a cat. Well, that. Thank you, you want him to go right I back want him in the to hospital? Suffer. Yeah, it's nice. He just got out of the, the, the place. Uh, all right, so um, th- this was interesting. Vice, you know, the, the outlet, the, the media outlet, we'll call it news outlet, they um, did these panels. It's really, it's basically um, a bunch of uh, young urban leftists, not college kids, they're out of college. Okay. Which is even more frightening. Um, they did panel on... Basically, uh, assimilation, modeling success, uh, and this is all wrapped up in identity politics. So they have one of their focus group, one member of the focus group, who essentially (laughs) serves as an instigator to, um, to prompt these leftists to show you who they really are. And I just thought it's instructive. You you need to hear from these young people to know sort of what you're up against in these urban centers, why they're so resistant to reform, why big cities, even as they disintegrate before our very eyes, are so impenetrable to 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 with respect to common sense. So here here's an example. Okay. Let's start right here. With the idea of assimilation. but And then again, this is a perfect segue to what we were talking about at 6 o'clock hour, the mayoral debate, because not just because of the migrant question, but because everything is force-fed through the grinder of identitarianism. So here's the a guy who uh, you know gives sort of the common sense importance of assimilation argument, and then, you know, the jackals strike. Assimilation. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is, is it a burden? Is it an opportunity? It's not just a great thing. It's a necessary thing. Huh. No society can hold together where people have nothing in common. They don't speak the same language. They don't practice the same things. And, you know, you may look at something like just food habits or what you eat and think that's fairly frivolous. But the truth of the matter is that on a broader level, when we're talking about more big picture things, differences in race, culture, religion, all these things, the, people have fought wars, violent wars, killed each other over these things for thousands of years. If America is to hold together, assimilation, not just good or bad, necessary. I don't think it's going to be possible for America to survive as a stable functioning society if people don't, to some degree, say, well, here's what we're going to commonly agree upon. But who gets to choose it? 
the majority culture, I suppose. And like what's the people, majority culture? The people with power. And who's people with power? Who's people with power. Uh -oh. White people. Well, I don't. I don't know I'm if that's. Gonna say it. Yeah. White people. It's okay. I don't know it's if that's necessarily so true. I mean, Wait, can you, you unpack? Look at, yeah. I don't. Let's I don't elaborate. Think, I don't think a particularly white quote unquote interest controls things like in America pop culture. Do you believe well, white think, supremacy exists? I think there are people who believe in it. I think there's people who all believe that their race is superior. So you don't believe in white supremacy? Do you believe no, America is a white supremacist state? No, not at all. And not found. No in white supremacist state would even like allow us to be doing this. Like I don't, I don't understand. So white supremacists, there's just KKK people walking. I mean, Actually, I go around New York City. I notice that, like, I guess Brooklyn a little bit different. Most of the people here are not white, and they're doing their thing. So I don't. Understand what does doing their thing mean to you? Going to work. Are they making? Working. Are they making the same amount of money? No. Oh. This is what you're up against. Uh, these young people who have been wired to, uh, to don the cloak of victimization, no matter what you say, no matter what you offer. If um, uh, they, you know, I mean, they, they are they are positioned, they define themselves in the negative, not what am I? I'm not a white supremacist. Who's the dominant culture, Dan? Answer the question. Modeling success. OK. Replicating the successful models for living. They tackle that like this. Statistically, it is true that Asians, right, on average, make more money it, like in terms of medium, make more money, better test scores, get into better colleges, all that stuff. I think the question is, why is that? And I don't know, model minority, whatever that label wants That's to be. That's actually mean. a not, myth because not, we cannot be... Um, well, no, listen, well, let me finish my point. We need to observe what makes people successful and unsuccessful. And I think when you look at trends that are generally true in the Asian community, not of everyone, but are generally true, usually you have families that are sticking together. You have, um, you know, people are taught to work hard in school, not get into trouble. I think that translates to why Asians on mass are successful. And I don't think you have to be Asian or white for that matter to not have kids out of wedlock, not, you know, commit crime, what? not not cause trouble or whatever happening? it is. It's just a matter of like, well, common sense, that's what makes people successful. And if that's so-called assimilation, having a nuclear family, buying a house, going to school, whatever it is, then yeah, okay, call me a pro-assimilation then. I think there's a difference between assimilation and erasure. Yes. The, the girl who said what is happening while he was giving this riff about uh, the, the uh, Asian model for success, if you will, is Asian. And she has purple hair. Well, she does, well, yes. I mean, but the, what is happening, right? What is happening? You're talking about uh, intact families and taking your studies seriously and work ethic and not getting in trouble. What? What is What's wrong with you? What is happening here? What, where are, what are you talking about? These are foreign con offensive concepts, offensive concepts uh, to the, those assembled in opposition to that guy who was you know, presenting the argument for them to um, you know, melt down over. And that last piece that you heard from another woman as part of the panel. There's a difference between um, assimilation and erasure. See, the I mean, it's important to understand this. I mean, it's so dominant because you're going to run into these young people. You're going to oh, run yeah. into them. They're moving into communities. 
Well, that, oh, and so for they're, us, they're, they're already they're, here. They're not. They're not like a nomadic tribe. They they are well, in all of these institutions. Yeah, but lefties in colleges, like, take for instance University of Utah, they're suggesting that they move to places like St. George and Hurricane to get to try and change the communities to be democratic. Well, which is good luck with that, but that's how their mindset is. But the to conquer, right? The but the 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 assimilation there's difference between assimilation and erasure and so what they've done is they have redefined identification as definition i can identify you as a black woman but i i understand that is not the sum total of your definition as a human being well for them it is and so if i am to assimilate as just another off-the-shelf American, well, then I've been erased. That, that's, that's the mentality. I mean, this is, again, the intellectual poison associated with this navel-gazing ideology of identitarianism. And it gets worse. It gets worse when, when they attack assimilation, which is not about losing your cultural heritage. It is about basically what that... A younger guy was saying who's under assault is modeling success and uh, subscribing to a societal compact uh, as to how we are going to live peacefully among ourselves. That's what assimilation is. It's not you have to uh, renounce something that's important to you, whether it's your race or your religion or sexual orientation, whatever. That's how they take it, though, because... That's all they have, and that's how they want the world to be ordered. The more in common that a society has with one another, the more likely they are to work together and build things okay, in society I hear and you. not constantly be fighting each other and at odds with each other. Did you think the Japanese internment was a good thing? Because that was a real assimilation situation. You know what I mean? No, I, Do you I don't, recognize I don't. that the term assimilation has negative history and facts associated with that word? So we do have to be careful in how we choose. Because assimilation for people of color have not been good to us historically. That's factual. So let me ask you. We're discussing you. the model minority no, 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 myth and the Japanese fact that... Japanese internment is a classic example of assimilating Asian Americans. No, so it's not. It's a classic that... example of internment. I mean, they <laughs> yeah, interned exactly. Why? Why? Yes. Why, did they that to, um, Why did they intern them? Because, because they saw them as other. Because they saw them as dangerous. Not really. Because, well, yes, they saw them as dangerous right. because, and I don't agree with it, but left-wing president, FDR at the time, saw it as a national security so risk. So you're a Republican, right? So you're right-wing, oh. right? I want to I I make sure. There's just always oh, bounce. Oh, there you go. There's always bouncing around because they can't defend the inanity of that position that in, in, in turning the Japanese during World War II, Japanese-Americans, was assimilation. Of course, no, yeah, right. Or, yeah, what he said was perfect. No, that's a good example of internment. That's a good example of imprisonment, wrongful Japanese imprisonment. Internment camps. It's not a, but but they this is uh, they're so uh, bold with their ignorance and sometimes it's you know ignorance if they're being ignorant like a fox purposely so at conflating these terms at poisoning terms like assimilation like success everything is about everything is weaponized everything I mean we we have this California. California's got a new lexicon out where there's all sorts. I mean, it's not just for Stanford anymore. 
California, uh, this this new um, suggested uh, elimination of violent phrases in our vernacular. Oh, please. Uh, yeah. Uh, language created uh, is enti- evolving from violent language. Teachers who want to push the stop button when children question. Gen- um, jump the gun, roll with the punches, deadline. What? They're too violent. Jump the gun, roll with the punches. Okay. Uh, instead of kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Replace that with feed two birds with one scone. No. <laughs> I swear to God. No, you did. Yeah. No. Evolving from violent language. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, a product of a uh, of a company called Phenomenex, and I'm sure it's going to be in all the California schools. Uh, look, um, we're going to pull the trigger. S- don't say that. Say we're going to launch. Oh. Did we jump the gun? Did, no, no, no. Did we start too soon? I'll bite the bullet. I won't avoid it any longer. You kind of sound like an old man. <laughs> I mean, those phrases are old, but people still use them. That was... I always say, let's kill two birds with one stone and get this done now. No. Oh, I Let's guess I feed can. two birds with one scone. What? Yes. Is it a mini scone? Let's not beat a dead Starbucks? horse. Let's, oh, what's, come on. Let's not focus on that anymore. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I mean, yeah, you're not going to do better than feed two birds with one scone, but you get the point. But so, so assimilation. Also, even their boogeymen, whiteness is fiction. That's just made up, too. Uh, all right, one more yes, from our please. friends. Since, since I, I just this. mentioned this it. Good. it, it's really interesting to watch these panels. And this this uh, young dude who's taken them all on held his own fairly well. And and you know all you have to do is offer a statement that is perfectly commonsensical and um, and reasonable, and then let them talk. Let them talk, and you know <laughs> we'll see. How many followers the two have? Uh, who? How many people think uh, each of the respective parties are making sense? So this is, as I was saying, on whiteness, white supremacy, and of course, you can't talk about white supremacy without talking about white adjacency. Instead of aligning ourselves with the black community who've been fighting for yes. racial justice yes. and liberation, right, and, and acknowledging our own privilege and putting our bodies on the line to fight for these movements, instead we banked on white adjacency, and here we are still being pushed. Yes. What, is, what is for, okay, right. first of all, what exactly is white adjacency? Is it working hard, having families? I don't know. No, no, I, no, I no, no. I don't understand what the issue is. But then number two, wait, let me finish my point. I Certainly, think, I think it is gaslighting when, again, the majority of violent attacks against Asians are not being perpetrated by white people to blame white supremacy. White White supremacy as a construct is this idea like that the norm of American is whiteness. Yes. That whiteness is the default. Standard. That whiteness is the standard that we all ought to aspire to. And we deviate from that. It's not just talking that. about KKK. Yeah. It's not talking about lynchings. It, it's about a mentality that we have absorbed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt for a second. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, the moderator interrupted where he shouldn't have, just like uh, the moderator, one of the moderators in Fox Chicago did last night in the mayoral debate. Uh because no, okay, so so the default is whiteness. What's whiteness? What is this thing that you're railing against? That's the default. Define it. Because the the young man there again doing a nice job to say what 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 does that mean? Does that are you railing against hard work? That that only is something associated with white people uh, having a. Getting married, not having children out of wedlock, that's only associated with white people? 
that what you're saying? You, you get you got to try to pin them down amid all of their hysterics and jargonizing strings of jargon like you hear there, our bodies and the and blah blah blah. You have to just pin them down. You have to get them cornered. The more they talk, the more they're going to corner themselves. You just have to listen and strike. Matt in Mount Greenwood, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I, I was just vomiting in my mouth listening to that nonsense. But, you know, my grandfather, three of my grandparents were from Ireland. Uh, but my grandfather, my mother's father, he grew up on, they settled on the west side of Chicago. He had three friends, an Eastern European Jew, a Chinaman, and a black guy that came up from Mississippi. These are four guys, they're best friends. They always said they were just four men, four American men trying to raise families. There's no nonsense about this identity politics. They were just four men who cared for each other and raised families. It was a beautiful thing, and that's the way I was raised. It was, I never heard any racial garbage in my house, and I grew up on the South Side. And it was, it's the way it should be. We're Americans. We're a great melting pot. And, you know, kudos to this young man who was taking it from these fools. He did a great job. I appreciate it every yeah. day. Thanks for the comment. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and this is also sort of an indictment of, um, uh, well, it's sort of an indictment of Gen Xers, my generation, too, because these are their kids. And, um, and yeah, and, and frankly, um, this isn't exclusive, but just since we're talking about this particular age cohort, the idea that, you know, we're just going to indulge. Johnny and Sally, just going to indulge, indulge, indulge them. We're going to ignore what's happening in the schools because at the K through 12 level, because that's the local school. We don't want to get cross with the teachers or the administrators. We want that diploma. We want him to get in him or her to get into a good college. We need, you know, that status at K K through 12. Then we need to accentuate the status at collegiate level want them to get a good job, so don't ruffle any feathers there. And then right. in corporate America, don't ruffle any feathers. And then you just spend your life making sure you don't ruffle any feathers. I'm sorry, am I still allowed to use that phrase, ruffle any feathers? <laughs> Is that too violent? I think that's, yeah. Um, so th- so that's, and that's sort of the track they get you on. And then, you know, you have what seemed to be lone voices of the wilderness, like this guy that was taken in from all sides in these panel discussions. But is it so hard to say what he said? I don't know. I'm just surprised at how hard it is for people who uh, believe what that young man believes, which is um, all good stuff, to just simply articulate it and let the hysterics ensue. They'll indict themselves. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. 
So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy. So last night, Fox Chicago hosted a Chicago mayoral candidate forum. These candidates have got to be exhausted because, what, this is the third one this week? I mean, mean, it goes on. And they say the same things over and over. Same same answers. Yeah. Yeah, Debate. They got nothing else to do. Do something different. Well, something different did happen. Okay. And uh, by the way, Fox, I mean, you know, Mike Flannery is. Good for him for still holding on as long as he has. Who, who's this guy, Scott Schneider? Who's Scott Schneider? I don't, I don't know. He was uh, one of the co-moderate. He was a co-moderator with uh, Flannery. And uh, is he his protege? Is he going to be? No, diggity? he doesn't know what he's. he's uh, is well, he even from Chicago? Does he know anything about anything? I, I don't know, I, and I don't want to get too you know far down that rabbit hole. But he did commit malpractice, and it ruined what could have been really. The first really interesting, broad, extended exchange on something important among the candidates and including the moderator because life went after Flannery uh, that we've seen in this debate. But he uh, sidetracked it. Anyway, here it is. The questions. There was a litany of questions about Chicago Public Schools. Okay. Uh, Was it about the... uh, Potential multi-billion-dollar fraud CPS committed, according to their own inspector general. No, 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 no. Was it about the systemic sexual abuse of children in the system? No, those weren't the questions. But there were other important questions, like about the schools that don't have any students, about the truancy rates, about the continued decline in student population, and when Flannery turned his, uh, the question to triple threat and asked her what what about uh, the incidence of truancy on your watch madam mayor well that's when she took a moment to seize and uh try to have her william jennings bryan moment oh, no. it was interesting okay it was interesting at least she's taking risks why are 45 percent of chicago school kids so, so here's, what, here's, here's what i want to say mike i'm listening to your questions I'm listening to the answers of the colleagues. This may be the Fox News perspective on the city of Chicago and CPS. It's not the reality that I live in every single day. Well, you have disparaged your... No, no, no. Let me, fin- let, me, let me finish, please. You asked me a question. I'd like to finish. You are, dist- you are characterizing our kids 
that are exceeding all odds, working hard every day. And yes, the graduation rates are up despite the pandemic. Yes, they're getting scholarships at an, at an amazing level. You're describing them as if they're dumb, lazy, oh, and not doing what anything. That's, that's absolutely yeah, false. That, that is the, that and is and the, the question premise, actually, Madam Mayor, the, the question was question. about here's the 45% of kids here's what who I know. are chronically absent. Here's what I know. What, the, why are what they I not know. in class? Here's what I know, Mike. The reality, and I'd invite you to come with me sometime to an elementary school or high school, and here's what you would see. Building principals, doing everything they can to knock on doors, literally, to bring those kids back. Yeah, we lost some kids during remote learning, but we have gotten them back. Here's what I also know, that we have put in a ton of resources to make sure that those kids that um, are struggling, that they have a place in school that they are learning and that they are thriving. That is the reality. Do we have challenges? Absolutely. But I do not accept the premise of the okay, last four seconds. questions oh, that describe CPS in such a We've got to move on. I want to talk a little bit yeah, about no, business. No, no, we don't have to move on, Scott. And Scott Schneider, the, the co-moderator with Flannery. And your, your colleague just got slandered. Completely. I mean, and you have you hear you hear the murmur from the other candidates on the stage after Lightfoot gets done with her Jeremiah, ad, and then he sidetracks it by going to turn it around, and talk about you know how are you going to help start more small mom and pop businesses and stuff. Yawn. Totally missed the moment. Totally missed the moment. But it's interesting what Lightfoot chose to do. Play the role of the victim. Yep. Deflect. Well, well. Play the play the role of the defender of the victim. Your calling CPS students uh, lazy and, 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 and stupid and so on and so forth. And, of course, nothing like that was said. Nothing even remotely like that was said. But that's sick that she even did that. I but, mean, it's, but, it, but politically, here I am. I'm protecting, and, and this is a sop to the teachers' unions, too, the case that she could make a runoff. Here I am defending the system, defending what principals and teachers did, defending these kids that are – the few of them that are actually seceding against all odds, and and you're the you're the, you're the white evil man, right, right, and well, and, you're and, the but, criminal. You're you're holding us back. You're suppressing the growth. Well, but the learning no, growth. No, in no, Chicago. no. All the candidates, all the candidates. You're buying into this dystopian view of CPS. When what I see is a, is a is the little engine that could. That's what CPS is. It's the little engine that could. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A Turkey dot pro. I mean, line. I know you're not into apologies, but that was complete slander and unprofessional. What she did to Mike Flannery. And so, where Pat. was? Wh- wh- and and by the way, just because you know, this is where you have to have candidates that have the wherewithal, the actually thinking, and not just waiting for their turn to be called on to recite what they've memorized. If uh, if I was on that debate stage and I I was watching it, I so I would I reacted this way in the moment uh scott yeah I, i'll talk about mom and pop businesses on when i feel like talking right. about them but it's not going to be right now because what lightfoot said cannot go unchallenged first of all the characterization of the questions that's unfair that's false as mike flannery said completely false and this is her way to paper over an indefensible school system based on any metric Pick a metric, any metric. And then Brandon Johnson and all these other guys want to talk about how we need to pour more money into a system that's 
got $10 billion that spends $30,000 a year per kid at this rate with the federal infusion. And what does it produce? What are the numbers of kids reading and doing math at grade level? And and, and they had just gone through the litany of the, these Potemkin schools that were built for 1,400 and have 100 students in them and so forth. At Marshall High School, 1,200 kids, they only have 186. Something else, too. And where's Paul Vallis on this? Something else that could have been said in that moment, in follow-up, at any time in the final half hour of the debate after that exchange occurred. Oh, let's talk about the 45% fluency rate, chronically absent, meaning they're gone. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about it in the context of the fraud that CPS is perpetrating, saying kids are there that are not there. No, yeah, so that they that, can get federal funds. Well, they well state, state funds, funds, average daily attendance. Let's talk about that. You know what Bob Mazikowski said what? two years ago? Bob Mazikowski, who started Hope. Chicago Hope Academy. Here's what he said. Do you think the kids on the west side and the south side are really paying attention on Zoom when it's loud in the background and your, your mom's getting high? I mean, really, it's ridiculous to think that. And to think that all these juniors and seniors and the low-income south side minority kids and west side, do you think they've been told they don't have to go to school? Do you think they're going to come back for their senior year at 19? I mean, you just created 30,000 gangbangers because you're too lazy to open and figure it out. You just created 30,000 gangbangers because you're too lazy to open the schools and figure it out. Yeah, well, there was rich white kids on the north side that completely dropped out of school, too. That completely just gave up because the system gave up on them. You were they too, couldn't figure you it just out. created 30,000 gangbangers because you were too lazy to open the schools and figure it out. Where is anybody challenging the premise that her handling of COVID and the school shutdowns was the right way to handle it? No one has challenged it. Not a single no, candidate. No, no one. Why don't they bring that up? All the all the draconian measures that she, you know, knee jerk reactions. You want to understand? You want to understand like why they're gone? And parks and pools. There's 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 a the AP story out yesterday. Perfect timing. Uh, Stanford University's big local news project and Stanford Education Professor Thomas T. found an estimated 230,000 students in 21 states whose absences cannot be accounted for. They didn't move out of state. They didn't sign up for private school or homeschool. In short, they're missing. Yeah. 230,000 kids, that's Stanford's estimate. And, uh, you know, we'll use Bob Mazikowski's handle, 30,000, probably more than that based on the uh, the actual numbers in CPS versus their recently reported numbers. Yeah, you didn't just do it in Chicago. Yeah, I understand, and the the rich white neighborhoods, blah blah blah. Let's just talk about uh, the the content. The, let's talk about what's happening in the not so rich areas that do, where you don't have sort of the parental involvement, generally speaking, and you do have endemic violent crime. You just created two hundred thirty thousand gangbangers nationwide. Oh, I can't figure out. I can't connect the dots between why we've seen historic increases. In violent crime in urban centers, 230,000 kids are missing. Nobody knows where they are. Yeah, Bob Mazikowski does, and he did two years ago. And unfortunately, he's not running for mayor. It's just remarkable. But if somebody pushes back against Mayor Lightfoot about reopening of schools, I know exactly what you say. I was trying, but the CTU didn't want to go back. And never forget, people, that the CTU told two little girls— 
on a West Side school that they brought COVID home to their moms and killed them when they did not die from COVID. I'm just saying that that's how sick the CTU is, and I don't, I don't want anybody to ever forget that. Lori Lightfoot had another moment last night. It's not um, unusual, but it bears pointing out. Did she have a temper tantrum? No, it was an, an, another issue where it's not an issue. It's like CPS. Hey, how dare you ask these pointed questions about CPS when, again, it's the school system that's the little engine that could, despite being under-resourced and, uh, and victimized by white supremacy, having to deal with MAGA country out there in Streeterville, despite all that, we're increasing graduation rates and kids are getting scholarships and, and we're, we got more challenges, of course. But uh, things are going pretty well. That's to hear Lori Lightfoot tell the story. How about hearing Lori Lightfoot tell the story about, uh, I don't know, 3,000 carjackings in January of this year? Yeah, she's got a story. So you you ask about car thefts. Carjackings are actually down. Car thefts are up primarily because of the thefts of Hyundai and and Kia uh, vehicles. Uh, A TikTok phenomenon spread that you can actually jack a a, a Kia or a Hyundai with a thumb drive. And the manufacturers have been wholly unresponsive to this problem. That's why lawsuits have been brought. That's why we've been pressuring them. And finally, we've seen some relief. But fundamentally, the U.S. Department of Transportation has to make these car manufacturers be more responsive so that cars are not easily um, stolen with a thumb drive. Uh, Blame somebody else. It's the old bait and switch. Stores are being looted because they didn't hire their own security. Cars are being stolen because of the make and model of the car. No, because the manufacturers... The manufacturer not carrying enough. Shootings are the fault of gun manufacturers. Robberies are the fault of little village food vendors who accept cash. All we have to do is eliminate the manufacturing use of goods that people value, and there'd be no crime. That's how on, could she that, say carjackings are down? That's on us. How could she we say We have it? eight a day on average. Because you just get to say things in this city. Right, and there's no, like... It doesn't matter. Declarative statements with no facts behind it. You get to say things. Because I said it is. You get to say things, and if you're morally indignant enough, then nobody will question, and you have, you know, the right ideological disposition, then nobody questions you. Uh Ron Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. (laughs) Dan and Amy, you know, this is one issue. I guess I've been trying to get to you all that I totally just disagree with both of you all. What's that? Maybe they didn't. Well, maybe they didn't have a problem with the children not coming to school. Maybe they agreed with her. That is the only one of the things I agree with her. Now, and let me. Okay, my wife was teaching during that time, and to suggest, well, because kids are not in school, they're going to become gangbangers. Well, if that's the case, they're going to become gangbangers even in the school. It's a lot of gangbanging in the school. Yeah, but okay. I don't see a problem like kids. I, even when I was working, though, for those two years, I primarily worked from home, and I was glad because I didn't, I never caught COVID. And I know people say, well, you can catch it and still survive, but I'd rather not have it. So, uh, it, so you lived it, in you a know, bubble for two years? Yeah, I live in a bubble. Yeah, for two years. So you stayed home and worked, and then what? Yeah, and did what it did. I went to the store. Did I, I just continued to live my Life, but I did. It's called adjusting when our company said, Well, this is what we're going to do because we rather try to make sure you're all the same. And I'm glad they did. And I was glad that my wife was able to teach from home. 
the parents that were committed to their children's education, they, you know, they just, um, you know, made the, the, the adjustments. They adapted. So that's it. I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. I mean, so what do you think CPS <laughs> is? You, you heard uh, Lightfoot's characterization of CPS. Is that is that your understanding? Is that your belief about uh, the Chicago oh, I, Public School system? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I have absolutely no use for for CPS. I'm a bit. That's now, uh, uh, Amy. The one thing I agree with uh, Val's. I've been I've been fighting for choice for years, so I have no use for them. The Chicago Teachers Union, Brandon Johnson's carrying the water for them. But I'm just saying on that issue, I I I I didn't have a problem with 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 people being. Uh, at home and no, Amy. I just live in a bubble. I continue to do the things that I like to do, and I wanted to just continue to be safe. I was getting close to retirement, and I'm happy that I made the right decisions. And that's it. So you Matt. all have a great weekend. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Uh, Matt and Wheaton. Hello. Hey, Matt. Hey. She uh, gets to say whatever she wants because. They asked her about carjacking, which is a violent crime, usually um, taking a car from a person who's in the car. And yes. she started talking about thumb drives, which is a stolen car, which is unoccupied. So she deflected and Thanks. lied. Yeah, thanks for the comment. Yeah, well, that, well, well right. But this, she had to deflect to be able to blame car manufacturers rather than you know, the lawlessness in the city. Also right. something again, too, she made mention, Lori Lightfoot, uh, about the, she made a mention of the Cook County court system. She didn't go after Kim Fox, but she didn't make mention of the Cook County court system. But here again, in all the talk about crime, there's no talk about Kim Fox. In all the talk about CPS, there's no talk about the lockdowns. There's no talk about the actual resources that are there because Everybody else wants to continue to pour more money into it because that's what their uh, adult political Absolutely. allies want. And the and people like Paul Vallis, in particular, are afraid to talk about that reality because he's just afraid to take anybody on. He just wants to defend his record and run through the uh, the, the highlights, the abstract from his policy papers. And that's what he did again last night. Okay. Corey Woodlawn. Hey, morning, Dan and Amy. You know, CPS is a monopoly. And like all monopolies, they produce a very poor quality product at a very high cost. And unless we get better choice now, this isn't going to stop. And most of these candidates running for mayor, I mean, CTU stood them up. They're going to ask for more money for their, uh, uh, for their uh, workers. That's all they want, more money at the system. Thanks. Thanks well, where the is call, the Corey. money? I mean, how much is it per pupil? And some kids that aren't even there. What? Where is that money going toward? What, right. I've been in the system for six years. We're not getting any of this. Yeah, it's been a mystery for a long time. When you start to back out the costs, like you, you we, we've done this exercise on the air. You know, here's the cost per. Cl- here's the the spend per classroom. Yeah. The teacher, the students, the materials, the administrative overhead. And uh, you still come up with a shortfall. Well, what about the COVID money? What in terms did that of the accounting, for? not in terms of the resources. I mean, I'd be fine if teachers got raises. You know, there's a lot of good teachers out there in CPS. Trust me, they're not all bad. 
and they deserve raises, but where's this money going? Nobody ever said that. Yeah, okay. Nobody ever said there wasn't. That's a straw man argument. Nobody ever said there wasn't good teachers in CPS. That, like, the the need, the, the need, the feeling that you need to sort of qualify to have a conversation about CPS. CPS is a catastrophe. Absolute rolling catastrophe. It's a criminal enterprise is what it is, actually. That apparently is above the law and has been for a long time. So, right, uh, some kids will escape and some adults are there for the right reasons, doing the right thing. So what? We're talking about the system writ large. Absolute criminal enterprise. And I'm not just talking about the sexual abuse. I'm not just talking about the financial fraud. I'm talking about a system that prevents, prevents children from even having the opportunity to access the kind of instruction that will prepare them for life. It's not in the business of education. It's in the business of preventing education. Lori Lightfoot's uh, sermonizing notwithstanding. But that's going to be the prevailing view, what you hear from Brandon Johnson, what you hear from uh, all these candidates, because and what will be amplified by the media, because nobody, very few people will stand up and talk about it consistently, including Paul Vallis. Even to some extent, Willie Wilson. Willie Wilson will be more direct about it, but he doesn't make it central like he should. Johnson and Vallis got into a, an exchange. By the way, just on a, on a political note, um, if Paul Vallis wants, if he if he gets to the runoff, and if he wants to face Lori Lightfoot in the runoff, and he does because that's the only candidate he would have a shot at beating, how would uh, just how would he lay off Chuy Garcia? How does he say nothing about Chuy Garcia? Uh, whether it's the debates or these or ads, it, all, all these ads these candidates are running, they're the same ad. If I remove the names and just read the scripts, you wouldn't be able to tell who's ad from who's ad. You, right. If if you think Vallis is going to get a plurality or he's going to be in the one or two slot because of the honky vote come February 28th, then who does he want to face? He will get throttled by Chuy Garcia. Who I, I think is about a eight to ten shot. Eight, uh, well, I'd say it was a, a probably um, one to three favorite to be the next mayor. Um, okay. He'll get throttled by Chuy Garcia. He would lose to Brandon Johnson. The only candidate he has a chance of beating, chance, is Lori Lightfoot. And you're not trying to help Lori Lightfoot? I mean, or help yourself by going after somebody who's so wildly unpopular and upside down? He doesn't go after anybody. Listen to this exchange between um, b- b- between Vallis and Johnson. And it's not really an exchange. The only reason Vallis even responds is because Johnson launched a frontal assault. Look, as a public school teacher, I can tell you, I've seen the devastations of poor investment. And everybody knows that wherever Paul Vallis has been in charge of the finances in the city, no matter what city he was in, he was fired. Look, we are living out the... the but can I ask, what, what are we going to do about 20 schools we gotta talk about how that we are got, almost empty? We, we got to talk about how we got here. 
You can't talk about solutions if we're not being honest about how we got here. And the fact of the matter is that the poor financing proclivities of Paul Vallis is how we ended up in this mess. That's why I'm a proponent of sustainable community schools, making sure that we are investing not just in early childhood education, but investing in, in bilingual education. We have to get our fiscal house in order, but we can't do it by going backwards to a failed policies of Paul Vallis. Mr. Vallis. <laughs> I mean, just, we'll just hold there for, for bringing So fewer students... Cratering student population, empty schools, and Brandon Johnson, more money. And we're going to impose a city income tax. Brandon Johnson is scary. The only person who could actually make things markedly worse than Lightfoot or Chewy Garcia is Brandon Johnson. So uh, maybe I should switch my allegiance over to Brandon no, Johnson okay. to get to get you know worse faster. If maximum punishment is the order of the day, then Brandon Johnson is my candidate for maximum punishment. But here's... Vallis's response. Why are 45% of Chicago school kids? I'll let people, I'll let people fact check that. After all, getting praised by three presidents for our reforms in Chicago. And I hate to say this, Brandon, but uh, besides negotiating two collective bargaining agreements without a strike or ever shutting down schools, we left the schools with a billion dollars in cash balances and 125,000 more students than they have today. So, I mean, those are just facts. But let me tell you something very quickly. Right now, there are, there are 56,000 kids who attend charter schools. And they are not allowed to occupy public school buildings. So if you wanted to fill those empty buildings, you could allow those public charter school children to move their operations into those buildings. Yeah. Uh, Paul Vallis uh, confirmed my support for him to be the CPS superintendent. Because that's what he's running for. He doesn't think he is, but that's what he's running for. He's a technocrat or budget director. He's running to be a technocrat. He's running to be uh, a chief of staff. He's running to be a superintendent. He's not running to be a mayor. He just doesn't know it. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. This is a remarkable column by a whistleblower, 42-year-old St. Louis native named Jamie Reed. There are more than 100 pediatric gender clinics across the United States. I worked at one. What's happening to children is morally and medically appalling. Jamie Reed describes herself thusly, queer woman, Politically to the left of Bernie Sanders, my worldview has deeply shaped my career. I've spent my professional life providing counseling to vulnerable populations, children in foster care, sexual minorities, the poor. For four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine's Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who were HIV positive. Through childhood and adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. I now, I'm now married to a trans man. And together we're raising two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children we hope to adopt. That background is sort of important as uh, context for what you're about to hear next. All that led me to a job in 2018 as a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis's at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which has been established had been established a year earlier, 2017. Wash you has that. 
at the St. Louis Children's Hospital, yeah. just like uh, everywhere else at Lurie's, all the big cities. We've gone through a lot of them. A lot of them have been exposed. Apparently, Washington U's is getting exposed now. St. Louis Children's Hospital getting exposed like libs of TikTok. We talked about yesterday, exposed Boston Children's Hospital. Oh, yeah, and, a program and, that AOC didn't think existed. Well, yeah, despite her attempt to continue to run interference for it because that's what you do when you're a member of a cult. During the four years I worked as the clinic uh, at the clinic as a case manager, writes Jamie Reed, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around 1,000 distressed young people came through those doors during those four years. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. So some examples of what led her to quit her job and write this op-ed. Soon after my arrival at the trans center, I was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. The center's, uh, the center's uh, physician co-directors were essentially the sole authority. <clears throat> One of my jobs was to take intake for new patients and their families. When I started, there were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, four years later, there were 50. And about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. Oh, because, yeah. She's Sally's going to do it. I might as well do it, too. Let's all just go do it. And no girl at that age wants their period. Sorry. But a 5X increase in calls in four years. This concerned me, Jamie Reed writes, but I didn't feel I was in a position to sound some kind of alarm back then. There was a team of about eight of us, and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions I had. Anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. Uh, bad. But no one wanted to raise the question of social contagion. Autistic children? The doctors privately recognized these false flag diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion, privately. They even acknowledge that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. So let the transitioning begin. And for those uh, who are proponents or defenders of this, well, there are safeguards. You hear that. Safeguard, you know, you have to get a therapist's right. letter. You have to you know therapist, you have to get a to, letter. to get a therapist's letter? Yeah, I do You not. just go to that clinic, and they'll get a therapist who's on staff to write the letter. It's real simple. It's like how they feel. Everyone's catering to all their needs. And that's exactly what Jamie Reed said. To even make it more efficient for therapists, we offered them a template for how to write a letter in support of transition. The next stop was a single visit to the endocrinologist for testosterone prescription. That's all it oh. took. <laughs> And and, and and for those, uh, again, not familiar with this, as maybe a little bit late to this dance, Jamie Reed 
When a female takes testosterone, the profound and permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of months. Voices drop, beards sprout, body fat is redistributed. Sexual interest explodes, aggression increases, mood can be unpredictable. Our patients were told about some of the side effects, including sterility, but after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. Oh, really? You don't say. But she is saying, and and appreciative that she is, that uh, what she saw from her experience with a thousand people that she did intake for is that they didn't appreciate the consequences of the choices they were making. Many encounters with patients emphasized to me how little these young people understood the profound impacts of changing gender would have on their bodies and minds. But the center downplayed the negative consequences and emphasized the need for transition. This is always great, too. The uh, studies, because, you know, these are all men and women of science and data. Of course they are. Uh, On their website, St. Louis Children's Hospital, the studies we have show these kids often wind up functioning psychosocially as well or better than their peers. That's what it says on the website, Mm -hmm. what Jamie Reed says. There are no reliable studies showing this. Indeed, the experiences of many of the center's patients prove how false these assertions are. And she has examples that she provides. One, on Friday, May twenty, uh, May 1st, 2020, a colleague emailed me about a 15-year-old male patient. Oh, dear, I'm concerned the patient does not understand what bicalutamide, whatever. What it does to them. It's a uh, medication used to treat metastatic prostate cancer. One of its side effects is that it feminizes the bodies of men who take it, including the appearance of breasts. The center prescribed this cancer drug as a puberty blocker and feminizing agent for boys. As with most cancer drugs, this drug has a long list of side effects, and this ex- patient experienced one of them, liver toxicity. He was sent to another unit of the hospital for evaluation and immediately taken off the drug. Afterward, his mother sent an electronic message to the trans center saying we were lucky her family was not the type to sue. Ooh. How little patients understood what they were getting into was illustrated by a call we received at the center in 2020 from a 17-year-old biological female patient who was on testosterone. She said she was bleeding from the vagina. In less than an hour, she had soaked through an extra heavy pad, her jeans, and and had a towel wrapped around her waist. The nurse at the center told her to go to the emergency room right away. We found out later the girl had had intercourse, and because testosterone thins the vaginal tissues, her canal had ripped open. She had to be sedated and given surgery to repair the damage, and she wasn't the only vaginal laceration case we heard about. Do they have any idea that that's a side effect before they give them these testosterone pills? Because I've never heard of that before. She's lucky she didn't bleed out. It just goes on. It gets more gruesome as as we go. And I'm not even talking about the cases. I'm talking about their behavior. Besides teenage girls, another group was referred to us. Young people from the inpatient psychiatric unit of St. Louis Children's Hospital. The mental health of these kids was deeply concerning. There were diagnoses like schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, and more. Often they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals. You know, no matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured or how little treatment and love they had received, our doctors viewed gender transition as the solution. <laughs> 
taking mentally ill minors, teenage girls, uh, I mean, teenage girls and the mentally, the mentally ill, some minors, some not, and it's one size fits all, new body parts. Tricking your body to be the opposite sex. One teenager came to us in the summer of 2022 when he was 17 years old and living in a lockdown facility because he had been sexually abusing dogs. Oh, Oh, God. He had an awful childhood. His mother was a drug addict. His father was in prison. He grew up in foster care. Whatever treatment he may have been getting, it wasn't working. During our intake, I learned from another caseworker that when he got out, he planned to reoffend because he believed the dogs had willingly submitted. Somewhere along the way, he expressed a desire to become female, so he ended up being seen at our center. From there, he went to a, psychi- a psychologist at the hospital who was known to approve virtually everyone seeking transition. Then our doctor recommended feminizing hormones. At the time, I wondered if this was being done as a form of chemical castration, but it wasn't. Molesting dogs. But he expressed a desire to be feminine, uh, to be a woman. And so just give it to him. Let's yeah. get him in the program. <laughs> it's a moneymaker. What did they say? 50 billion by 2035. This is this business. I will think be? three billion. Oh, three billion. But okay. re- regardless, it's it's a moneymaker. <laughs> but it's it's this is this is this is this pathology is so much deeper. This is more than about money. As I this said, about a subculture. This is a cult. Uh, Trans these, people are 19 times more likely to commit suicide. These examples are, I mean, wow. I know that I read the other one about the clitoris because I did not know this, that if you take testosterone from that, you're going to grow what looks like a tiny penis. And one girl or boy, girl, said that it was painful, that there was chafing and rubbing and didn't know what to do. And then she, the whistleblower said, wow, we hurt this kid. She goes on to talk about the lack of parents' involvement, uh, the, uh, the, the lack of regard for the rights of parents, uh, the regret of people who began the transition, uh, the culture where you're either on board with this or there's the door. Oh, yes. I mean... Conform or die, Yes. And even, seriously, even if you question it, you're right. You're labeled a transphobe. In the spring of 2022, a concerned young man who had an intense obsessive-compulsive disorder that manifested as a desire to cut off his penis after he masturbated. Oh, boy. This patient expressed no gender dysphoria, but he got hormones. I asked the doctor what protocol he was following. I never got an answer. Just uh, give them all... Like hormone treatments and let God sort it out. Yeah. Uh, Bob in Mount Prospect, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, hi. How are you today? Just something I heard several months ago is that the federal government, through selective service, has established gender. That males, I have, let me go with this, that males who transgender to females are still required to and eligible yeah. to be drafted. And males who tra- females to, to male are not required to register for the draft or be drafted. Thanks for the yep. call, Bob. Marty Naperville. Who, who, who invented these drugs? 
I mean, who 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 sat there and said let's let's put billions of dollars into research on these drugs? Obviously, it's going to pay off for them. But I just, it, you know, down in Florida, they got these stores called You Pull It. You pull it into a store, a shopping mall, and there's a store called You Pull It, where if you got a bad tooth, you just go there and get it yanked. Are they going to start having these places in in strip malls too, called Doctor Frankenstein's or something? I mean, it's just, it's just who comes up with this? Stuff? Well, testosterone Thanks, wasn't Marty. created to help trans kids. It was created to help men. Well, right. Feel more manly, men later on in life. Well, uh, not kids. Uh, also, I mean, the, the, the you had puberty. you had a, a prostate cancer drug being repurposed to feminize men. Yes. So, right, it's not the originally intended conceived use. Something else, though, too, since we're talking about a social contagion and we're talking about a complete lack of medical ethics in, uh, <laughs> in so many hospitals and universities, clearly, you think it's going to stop? The uh, video game The Sims, you know, SimCity and all that, um, popular game, uh, giving teen female characters double mastectomy scars uh-huh. and chest binders. Right. The, uh, in, uh, Clown world. In, <laughs> uh, 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 Harry Potter is a tra- first trans character in Harry Potter, right? I, did I see that? Yeah. Ho- Hogwarts? Yeah. Hogwarts Legacy video game include the franchise's first transgender character. So going right after, what's the demographic for the video games like that, like SimCity and Hogwarts Legacy? Children. Young teens, prepubescent, some going through puberty. Yeah, be a lot more people showing up at um, Jamie Reed's former employer. The calls will keep coming. Who's going to stop those? You know, as uh, Marty said, Doctor Frankenstein's there, and in so many other cities at big children's hospitals. I, I the detail that she provides. I mean, this is like uh, Abby Johnson. The Planned Parenthood, who formerly directed a Planned Parenthood clinic and then had a conversion to pro-life and yep. uh, was a whistleblower there. But, I mean, it's even, it's even in a sense, it's more profound, not comparing the issues, it's more profound because uh, I don't see Jamie Reed having a conversion story necessarily. I just see her, because, I mean, politically or philosophically, religiously, I mean, you, we gave her your, her, we gave you her political background um, and uh, life choices. And yet it's so horrifying to somebody coming from that perspective whose pers- there's no evidence her perspective has changed. Still so horrifying she cannot a- accommodate it. She cannot stand by. Not only did she have to, was she so compelled she had to leave, but she took the extra step now of making herself a public target to the Lavender Bund by writing this detailed op-ed. I mean, good for her. Great for her and great for us and great for parents around America. We owe her a thank. Uh, uh, we owe her a big debt of gratitude. Clay and Wheeling. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I've I've been out of town and away from my phone. I've been in Arkansas for the last five days, so this is a pretty big shock to come back to. <laughs> but as as far as I'm concerned, gender dysphoria is classified in the DSM four as a mental disorder. We are not giving people with schizophrenia tinfoil hats and saying, yes, the FBI is listening via your teeth, so let's rip out all your teeth. We're not giving anorexic liposuction and destroying their bodies. Why in the hell are we giving these people the affirmation that, that, that they have a mental disorder and playing along with it? This is 
body mutilation to the fullest and giving these mental people who actually need mental help. I feel terrible for these people. Yeah. That, that these doctors are, it's sad. It's Thanks for the call, Clay. Well, anything to, you know, avoid being called a transphobe. Frank in Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. You know, I was always pretty good at geometry, and uh, I like that word congruence. And um, I wonder how congruent this whole movement is with uh, something liberals believe in on brain research. And, and there's some truth in this, that people's minds aren't fully developed until they're 24, 25. Their cerebral cortex is not fully developed. So how is it congruent with that? And, of course, how is it congruent with contract law? We won't let kids go buy a car at the Chevy dealer. Right. Well, and Vivek Murphy doesn't want them to be on social media at 13, but yet they can go get a double mastectomy. Right. Uh, And an abortion. (laughs) Oh, that's right. But that's exactly what Matt Walsh uh, posited to that Tennessee state legislator. We we played the clip yesterday. So, you know, um, 16-year-olds, we we shouldn't just be talking about 16-year-olds not making these choices to to mutilate themselves. We should be talking about 24 or 25-year-olds, but I mean— you think a 16-year-old is in a position to decide something like uh, uh, like like the changing out of their body parts? And, and that drew a response from the legislator of what? Uh, we ask the questions here. Right, because nobody actually wants to, nobody wants to publicly answer the questions that are on point. They just want to say, I'm a trans ally, and you're a transphobe. And that's the way they get around having to be accountable for these horrors documented by... Jamie Reed. I'm on the right side of the politics of this. Well, for now you are. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, here's what Mr. Ten Percent, the big guy, President Biden, had to say about classified documents in his possession when he was gently queried by Judy Woodruff the other day. What was totally irresponsible about the fact that you had some? What they've informed me not to speak to this issue, to any way try to prejudice the investigation that's going on, but. What I was talking about was what was laid out. All these documents were top secret, code word, and all the rest. I'm not at liberty, and I'm not even sure. I, I made voluntarily. No one's had to threaten to do anything. Voluntarily opened every single aperture I have with the house, offices, everything, for them to come and look and spend hours searching my home. Invited them. Nobody. And so, and the best of my knowledge... The kinds of things they picked up are things that are from 1974 and stray papers. There may be something else I don't know. But one of the things that happened is that what was not done well is as they packed up my offices to move them, they didn't do the kind of job that should have been done to go thoroughly through every single piece of literature that's there. But uh, I just let the, the investigation have, you know, decide what's going on and we'll see what happens oh, yeah, the same, you know he said that right away it's the aides the aides who packed my stuff up it's their fault 
uh, Stray Papers, 1974. Um, mm-hmm. What was going on? Wait then? a second. I I thought you don't know anything about them. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. So let's let the investigation go on. I completely agree. And I assume that uh, the big guy would have the same attitude toward uh, the investigation into his son, Hunter, and by extension, his entire family, as per testimony from Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley before Jim Jordan's House Weaponization of Government Committee yesterday, Grassley saying the following. Other whistleblower disclosures to my office make clear that the FBI has within its uh, possession very significant, impactful, and voluminous evidence with respect to potential criminal conduct by Hunter and James Biden. These disclosures also allege that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them. We still aren't sure what's been done with this information. Yeah. Who investigates the investigators to let that investigation go on since the FBI has been apparently for some time per the retirement of that uh, named uh, FBI agent running interference trying to derail the Hunter Biden slash Biden Inc. investigation. Also something on the uh, National Archives and their disparate treatment of Biden and the classified docs right. as compared to Trump. You have searches for Democrats and raids for Republicans. Uh, Lee Smith, who's a good investigative reporter, talked to him before, mentioned his work a number of times, has a good piece in Tablet Magazine. Closing in on the classified cover-up, he uh, does the old follow the money, and he followed it, and he came up with a name, the name David Rubenstein, who's the co-founder of the private equity firm Carlisle Group. He's a billionaire. He's also one of the more generous patrons of the National Archives. In 2013, the David M. Rubenstein Gallery at the National Archives was completed at a cost of $13.5 million, for example. He's also a major Biden ally. He's regularly hosted the Biden family at his Nantucket estate for Thanksgiving uh, last year, the year before, and uh, in 2014 as well, according to Lee Smith's reporting. Huh. Interesting. Also, he may have had influence in the personnel at the National Archives. Uh, Lee Smith uh, tracks back uh, senior staffing uh, at the agency and uh, notes their sort of connection to Rubenstein's, for example, when uh, uh, David Ferrero, the recently retired chief archivist, was appointed by Barack Obama in '09 to lead the National Archives, he was the university librarian and vice provost for the library affairs for library affairs at Duke University. At the same time, Rubenstein was the chair of Duke's board of trustees. The nominee to replace uh, Ferriero, Colleen Shogun, is also affiliated with Rubenstein. She's currently oh, the director of the David M. Rubenstein Center at the White House <laughs> Historical Center. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> a wonderful life. Do you know David Rubenstein? No, no, uh, did his, I don't. no. But I do. I do work for the David Rubenstein Center. But I, but I don't know if I've met. I him. wouldn't know. Yeah, Did he no. weigh in on my behalf? Absolutely not. Very interesting. Well, just, just some fun. But again, Joe Biden's posture on these things, as you know, because he favors uh, an independent Department of Justice, is to let the investigation run. Meanwhile, uh, that's the signal to 
uh, the politicized FBI to do everything they can to disrupt said investigations before they run. Scott McKay is a publisher at The Hayride, contributing editor at The American Spectator, and the author of The Revivalist Manifesto. And he joins us now. Scott, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. I haven't read that Lee Smith piece, and i got to get on that this oh, yeah. morning. That's crazy. Isn't it? Isn't it fun? Perfect. Happy, I mean, it's not happy, a surprise. Happy coincidences. Right? I mean, Good right. scene in the movie. Yeah, though. right. Yeah, yeah so I, I mean, anyway, it, no influence peddling. Well, I... Uh, I mean, it's not a surprise, right? Because everywhere you look, you find things just like this. Um, so, you know, why not the National Archives? Um, and and w- when you start to see this disparate treatment between, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I, there was always going to be some connection uh, that would explain that disparate treatment on something that used to be a fairly obscure uh, obscure uh, issue of you know the the, the papers of uh, of these guys and and whatever now, the amazing thing is Biden's dodge which I'm sure somebody gave him that to say um you know, but the, he says oh I've got papers from 1974 and the question is well how did you get that um you know like how how are you holding classified documents from 1974. You weren't president then. You know, you were a, a, a freshman senator in 1974. Uh, I, you know, they're going to they're gonna let you keep classified documents then? Um, I, you know, so that in and of itself, I don't think I don't think that does a good job of saving Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, and the real question here is, is, you know, I, obviously, I think the House is going to, to, to do their their job of holding account, him accountable. But I don't know that you're going to get any any cooperation uh, from the investigative agencies or uh, the the media, uh, or at least you know the legacy corporate media. I mean, I like I, I think that, um, and I, you know, I was on a a show earlier this week. We were talking about it. it's like it, it it's starting to look like Biden Filegate was really sort of a shot across the bow that somebody. Uh, cooked up, which is, okay, we're going to do all this to let you know it's not a good idea to run in 2024. Well, I, I know, but, you I know, know are that, we going to take you out? No. Yeah, I, I know that was that was a, a very popular theory that was being bandied about by all sorts of conservative talkers. I, I never quite got that. Uh, and then you see the State of the Union address and you're hearing what's emanating from within Democrat circles. And despite the... Uh, lack of enthusiasm of Democrat voters to have Biden run again, there's nobody that's willing to issue any sort of frontal challenge at this point. Right. Well, it's early though. Um, You know, I I think we, we let this play out over the next six to nine months and we'll see. I mean, I, you know, somebody not too long ago brought up the, uh, the sort of historical analog here, which is Lyndon Johnson in 1968, because a few weeks before he uh, made his announcement that he wasn't going to seek his party's nomination that year. I mean, Lyndon Johnson, his poll numbers weren't good, but among Democrats, they were. And and at the time, there didn't seem to be, uh, you know, anybody that that made a lot of sense other than Johnson. And then, of course, RFK decided he was going to challenge Johnson and Johnson got out. 
Um, and they ultimately ended up with Herbert, Herbert Humphrey, Hubert Humphrey, sorry. Well, right. But I mean, right. They obviously didn't anticipate a terrible thing like RFK being assassinated. But, um, but the, the, uh, the more, uh, the, the, perhaps the more apt historical, uh, analogy we'll, we'll see, uh, will be Carter in, in, uh, in, in 80, uh, and it did face a challenge from Ted Kennedy, but Ted Kennedy, uh, you know, was found wanting because he, didn't know why he was running. Um, and so, so, right. so you, so you could see, I mean, I could see something like that happening. So unpopular. And then somebody decides to step up, even a, a goof like our governor Pritzker, because he's midterm. Um, and so, you know, take a shot at it. Uh, and governor Newsom? I mean, one uh, po- po- possibly, I think less likely actually, but if he's not sort of uh, coronated, but, but I mean, something like that could happen. And then we'll see if, if Biden can, uh, Pass that test. And and also, too, you know, the party is doing his bidding by moving South Carolina ahead of Iowa to start the show. Uh, yeah, well, that and that's definitely a, a Joe Biden thing, unless, you know, and th- this is the the other thing that keeps kind of coming around is um, if Team Obama decides that Biden isn't viable. And you know, puts their sort of next man up into the into the the, the mix, which is Michelle. No way. No. Um, and I'm just not. You know I, I'm not a real. Yeah, I'm not a real huge proponent of that theory. But on the other hand, Team Obama is going to need to find something. And if Kamala Harris, which at one point was sort of their uh, chosen standard bearer. I mean, I, I, she's definitely not viable. No, that ain't it. You're right about that. Yeah. So like, so like, what, like, what are you going to do? Because I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you're not going to run Eric Holder for president. No. I don't think I, you can I, run I, Valerie Jarrett for president. No. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know who their, uh, I don't know who their no. standard bearer would right. be. But who started the Michelle Jay-Z. Obama rumor? Because I got to tell you from when her days as first lady, she couldn't stand the bubble of Washington. Any chance she could, she'd I say, I, I'll never forget one time, she said, I want to run out that door and yeah. go have ice cream. Yeah, that, she, that's I mean, all That's all a part, sort of a put-upon act because she loves being royalty. And that the real issue is she loves being royalty. And why would she take a step down by running for president? She's popular. She's rich beyond the wildest dreams. She's, uh, she's, I mean, they're American royalty. So why sully yourself by participating in, uh, through, you know, by going through that sausage grinder? You're not going to do it. She's not going to do it. No. Well, I mean, I and I and I'm not I'm not pushing on this too hard. I, but the answer to that question would be that um, that this is something Barack Obama needs. Oh, doing it for the man, you know, yeah. because yeah. Uh, because you know for sure that Barack would be running the country through Michelle if this were to happen. Yeah. I just don't you feel think like, he's I, running like it I'm not Biden convinced. Right I don't think it's viable. Yeah. Oh, he definitely is. But if Biden is no longer viable and Kamala Harris isn't viable, oh, like you need someone to be the puppet. And I don't know who they have if it's, you know, I don't, like I don't know who's electable if it's not Michelle, which is not to say that I believe this, but it is sort of an interesting, you know, kind of subject to talk through. Yeah. Um, you know, could they find a way to make her president where she could still go on vacations and, you know, do all of this kind of stuff? I don't know how you sell that to the American public either. Uh, although, you know, the Democrats are less interested in, in, 
you know, selling things to the American public, because as far as they're concerned, elections are about how many ballots you can turn in and not how many voters you can amass on your side. Hey, what do you think the over under is just going back to this uh, Rubenstein story um, at the National Archives? What do you think the over under is on the amount of time from when Attorney General Merrick Garland leaves the Department of Justice to the time he becomes the general counsel at the Carlisle Group? Do you think that will be more or less uh, than a year? Uh, oh, I, I would say it's a matter of weeks, yeah, weeks. rather yeah. than a matter yeah. of you know, months or, yeah. or, or pushing a year. Yeah. Um, you know, unless somebody makes him a better offer. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, obviously. You know, I mean, I, like, I, I, for example, if, if Biden is able to uh, uh, you know, get reelected, let's say, uh, and Garland were to leave, they're going to put him on the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. For the next, you know, like if Clarence Thomas finally hangs it up, I mean, they, they will do everything they can to get him on the Supreme Court because it's what he wanted all along. Right. I mean, it's amazing. You've got a guy who's the attorney general and it's a consolation prize job right. job for him. Um, um, all right. We got we have to get to one other thing because this is really important, uh, more important than anything we've talked about before. Mr. Bingle. Uh, no. Well, no. This this oh, is the dog. Well, Actually, the dog is perfectly fine right now. Oh, so, good. You know, good. Okay. I, we can but put everybody that one should to bed. Read, we I, should read that article. It's I brought a tear to my eye. An article's well, title, and Amy, so begins that. the long goodbye. The um, yeah. Well, yeah. he's got my just so for for the uninitiated. My dog has throat cancer. Uh, he's eight, and and so you know, I, like ultimately, this is going to be a real problem. But for right now. I mean, this dog is as chipper as you can good. get. So that's Enjoy the good days. that's that's a blessing. Yeah. I, I, what's the, um? I can't make out what kind of a dog is he. What breed? Oh, he's a boxer. Oh, he's a boxer. Oh, but okay. he's a brindle boxer, which which makes mm-hmm. him you know a little. Uh, he's kind of exotic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and probably. so and he acts a little exotic too. I mean, he's a <laughs> you know he's a he's a he's got a lot of personality. This dog. All right. Um. So no, my big question is a public policy matter. Uh, was about American women and whether or not they are, in fact, undateable. Um, I think a lot of people want to know this. What is the answer? Well, (laughs) the answer kind of, I guess, goes back, and I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble here. Um, There's an old song from, like, when I was a kid, and MTV first popped, and I think the guy that sang it was a guy named Ian Hunter, and the name of the song was All of the Good Ones Are Taken. Um, and I, I think a lot, especially among single guys, you get a lot of this that, you know, um, the women who are really good at the skills that used to be, uh, ubiquitous among women get snapped up like right away because, uh, successful guys particularly are really, really looking for charming girls who are complimentary. And yet the culture doesn't teach women anymore to be charming and complimentary. It teaches them to be disagreeable and independent. Um, And there's a, I mean, you go on the internet, you can see this everywhere. Discussions of the, you know, the topic of women who are like, Hey, I'm super successful. I've got a really good job. I make good money. How come I can't find a good man? And the answer is because guys don't care how much money you make. Right. They want their own money and they want a really, really nice girl to be their wife. And it's like there's a social disconnect going on. I I mean, I'm still single. I see this all the time. And it is 
maddening, mostly for women because guys are, you know, guys just do whatever. No, but, I mean that's this is um, this is I mean I'm this is excellent news, Scott, because um the good I mean now we know for certain yeah. that Scott, it's not us. Oh, it has nothing right. to do with uh, us. It has nothing to do with us. <laughs> we're we're completely well, exonerated. I, I, and I no, and I I certainly don't want it to come off that way. I'm kidding. Um, I, I think that there, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys out there that are, that don't pull their weight in terms of um, society or whatever. But uh, the, the the dating app, you know, world and all this kind of stuff has made it to the point where, you know, you, you swipe left or you swipe right. And that's like your final judgment on a human being um, before you even get to know them. And, you know, so like there's this, a list of criteria, uh, criteria that um, women are used to doing this. And so you've got a small number of guys in the dating pool that, you know, take their pick on a vast number of women. And, you know, a lot of people are getting left out. And I ultimately, and I had a conversation with somebody on this this week, is ultimately we're going to go back to arranged marriages because uh, as lousy a system as that is, what we have might be worse. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't think it'll be the families arranging it back, like back in the old days, but, like, you're going to go sign a contract with a matchmaker. <laughs> They're going to put you with somebody, and, like, you're going to just do it because you can't find anybody yeah, uh, any other way. I mean, Tinder doesn't work, obviously, Dude, and some of these point. other things don't work. Yeah. yeah uh, exactly. Scott McKay, publisher at Hayride, contributor to the American Spectator, author of the book The Revivalist Manifesto. Scott, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for letting me completely cut my throat socially with that last question. You're very welcome. Good luck Not with the problem. ladies. That's one <laughs> less competition for me. Yeah, all right. Thanks, yeah. Scott. All right, and Scott joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There's been some uh, pretty cute uh, baby pics, both in utero and out, that have gone viral recently. One in utero, did you see the uh, ultrasound? Of the the baby making the peace sign. Oh yeah, I did see that. And I, and that 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 was real. Yeah, that's real. Uh, yeah. That was that was great. You had one too. I have uh, this woman in Idaho. She got married, young, nineteen years old. She and her husband got married, so they wanted to wait to have kids. So she put in an IUD. Uh huh. And everybody knows what that is. And it's ninety nine point nine percent effective. Well, lo and behold, she had a baby, and the baby came out clutching the IUD in his hand like, no, mom, not on this, not this That's time. That's awesome. Isn't that the best? Nice try. Nice try. Yeah. <laughs> I got you, sucker. Yeah. Here I you am. You dropped this. His name is Rudy, and everybody <laughs> ran in, and they've been taking, this has gone viral. Uh, millions, 22-plus million people have looked at it. That's outstanding. Because it came out like, winner, winner, chicken dinner, I got you. Well, that's uh, that's great. great news for that family. And oh, they're for- so happy. For uh, well, you know, people that uh, celebrate life, it's terrible news for Mr. Ten Percent, the big guy, Joe Biden. I just refer you to his remarks during the State of the Union speech. Didn't spend a lot of time on this; mm-hmm. just did some box checking on the uh, moral issues. But uh, he was unequivocal. What was totally irresponsible? 
that was taken away in Roe v. Wade and protect Roe v. Wade. Give every woman a constant right. The Vice President and I are doing everything to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient safety. Well, already more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it. Uh, for more on this topic, please be joined by Dr. Monique Chereau Wubenhorst. She's a board certified OBGYN and former faculty member at, in obstetrics at Duke University Medical School. Dr. Chereau Wubenhorst, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, it's great to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how, not just um, your reaction to sort of the pro forma statements you hear from a, a po- politician like Joe Biden during the State of the Union address, but the arguments that surround it, um, all of these arguments about um, uh, women's health and safety, the um, uh, incidence of maternal mortality rates. I mean, these are all the excuses that uh, or arguments, I guess, to be more generous, arguments that are made by those supporting the kind of legislation that Joe Biden supports. Yes, well, I think it's I think it's very helpful. Um, and again, thank you for inviting me to be here. I think it's very helpful to remember one of the things that I think uh, President Biden said was uh, reproductive health care. And we do have to ask ourselves, is abortion health care? And to which I would say, if abortion is health care, what is the disease that you're treating? And that is a central huh. fact, a central way of looking at this question, uh, because abortion does not benefit, uh, uh, has many harms to women. It's clearly 100 percent of the time it's lethal to a developing child. And so abortion is not health care. I think you're bringing up some very important points around maternal mortality, for example. And one of the most interesting sets of facts there is that among African-American women, Uh, who have the highest rates of abortion, um, the maternal mortality rate is also the highest of any ethnic group. And so while it's a a complicated sort of set of analyses, perhaps, to to look at each, and that's certainly a a set of good research questions, one has to wonder how could an ethnic group that has the highest rates of maternal mortality also have the highest rates of uh, abortion? because African-American women do have the highest rates of abortion. And so when you begin to look at these purported benefits to women, you do realize that abortion does not provide the benefits that people say it does. And, and so um, do, do we have, what, what insights do we have in answering that question about why, I mean, are you suggesting there's a correlation, um, the highest incidence of abortion and the highest mortal, uh, maternal mortality rates? No, no. What I'm saying is that the reasons that black women have highest rates of mortality are related to not related to their lack of availability of abortion. Right. Uh, It's what it is, is that if you look at very the best day that we have, and and admittedly, we definitely don't capture all the maternal maternal mortalities out there. If you look at the best data that we have, the major causes of death uh, during pregnancy are due to cardiovascular causes. They're caused by uh, high blood pressure, which is called preeclampsia and stroke um, and other uh, complications from high blood pressure, um, heart failure. And those are not 
problems that can be solved by having an abortion. All abortion does is kill the people who would have had the complication if they do have a complication. And there's no way of predicting whether any individual woman is going to have a complication. What is the biggest lie that is coming from the left about the pro-life movement? I think the biggest lie that I hear consistently is that the pro-life movement doesn't care about women. And one way that we know that that is not true is that if you look at things like uh, pregnancy resource centers, which actually encourage and support women um, toward their uh, goal of having a child, because there's quite a bit of research evidence that suggests that the majority of abortions are coerced. Women would like to parent their children, but they're told uh, by relatives, by their boyfriends or their husbands, no, you have to abort. And when they are able to access care through a pregnancy resource center, what they say is, I didn't think I could do this because no one would walk through this pregnancy with me. And so the fact that many, many, many women are going to these resource centers and not just getting a bag of diapers, as people have said pejoratively, but having someone do the hard work of walking them through their pregnancy. And sometimes that means helping them find treatment for their uh, uh, medical issues, um, helping them get off drugs, helping them to parent effectively. And these are things that pregnancy resource centers do extremely well. And you have a, a lot of, uh, again, the, talking about politicians, not medical professionals, but it's, you know, they're what they say informs the larger discussion, including the medical piece of it. But particularly some of the uh, Democrats, uh, female legislators who are minorities, uh, take the laws that are being passed at the state level that would restrict abortion as a, they they say this, the personal attack. These are attacks on women of color specifically. They're specifically targeting women of color. What's the response to that? Well, I would say uh, to anyone who says that, you need to look at what abortion has done to black communities. If you look at, since Roe v. Wade, an estimated 17 million African-American unborn children have been aborted. That's more than the populations of Senegal, more than the population of Senegal, only slightly less the entire population of the Netherlands. So you've had an enormous number of African-American unborn children being aborted. And with that, the loss of all of those uh, uh, people's hopes and dreams, their contributions to society, and their descendants. And so essentially what abortion has done is that it, is that it has wiped out a large segment of the black community. And no amount of politicizing, no amount of talking about rights can alter that fact. And you have to show, I think you would have to show some justification for that. Again, if you go to women, the reasons why women have abortions, women have abortions because they don't feel that they can parent and they have no one to support them. And that is especially true uh, in the minority community where a large number of uh, children are born out of wedlock among those women who do choose to parent. So that would be my response. How do you justify abortion uh, for the damage it's done to the black community? What do you think of the left, you know, that used to be called, or used to call pro-life movement, but Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC literally stopped her reporter because he said uh, a congresswoman was pro-life and she said, we don't use that word anymore. It's anti-abortion. Well, that's part of the left's playbook is to change terminology. Um, I think that 
uh, we are never just in the pro-life movement. We are never just anti-abortion. We are for the side of life. We are for women. We are for children. The pro-life message is a message of healing and hope. It's a message of supporting not just women and not just their children, but supporting families. And the fact that, and what also goes along with that is that there is no such thing as pro-choice. The choice that is presented to women is abortion. And so as part of the effort of trying to change the terminology, we have to stick to our guns. Pro-life movement has to stick to its guns. And it also needs to point out that when people talk about pro-choice, what they're really saying is pro-abortion. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've only been talking about women, but as we know now, anybody can get pregnant. Um, so I, just curious where you think your profession is, uh, board certified OBGYN, on the trans movement, uh, particularly in light of this really incredible whistleblower op-ed from a woman named Jamie Reed, who uh, was working at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital until she quit amid the horrors that she documented in her piece. Um, and, you know, and, and, and part of the horror is what uh, board-certified doctors in various disciplines are doing to children, minors, or uh, young adults. And I just wonder how this uh, creeps into your profession as well. Well, I think that one of the things that's been very concerning to me over the last few years is, again, getting back to terminology, people saying we can't say women, we have to say people. Um, But if you look at the name of um, the OBGYN professional organization, it's Healthcare for Women. And so it's not healthcare for people because we as a specialty are focused on the care of women. I think one of the things that... uh, I think about a great deal, having cared for transgender patients, is to provide care for them and to um, help them, to, you know, as if they if they do come in, um, typically the, the patients that a gynecologist would see would be a woman who was uh, undergoing hormonal therapy or um, in, and, uh, and needed, for example, a pap smear, uh, which leads to, you know, some... Um, thinking about what is the best therapy uh, for people. But I think that in general, the concern that I have is that when we talk about, well, you know, uh, as OBGYNs, we're supposed to be caring for women. If you can't uh, define what a woman is, and if you can't say, well, women need unique health care, that is a blow to women. That is taking something away from women. And I think that as part of part of our responsibility as a women's healthcare professionals is to treat uh, women bio- who are uh, uh, come into us for care, um, who are genetically ex- uh, have two X chromosomes, two sex chromosomes, um, but who are going through these procedures to treat them with compassion and to um, hold on to the fact that we are c- taking care of uh, women. That is our mandate. We, we are not taking care of people. Of course, we do take care of anyone in an emergency. But our responsibility as OBGYNs is to, to care for women. She is Dr. Monique Chereau Wubenhorst, board-certified OBGYN, former faculty member in obstetrics at Duke University Medical School as well. Dr. Chereau Wubenhorst, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, and she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it.
It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. For as much talk in uh, this mayor's race as there has been about crime, it's remarkable how little Lightfoot's challengers have offered in the way of personalizing it, humanizing it. It's all about neighborhoods and data and police. It's institutional. It's data. It's generic. And so they have this forum, Fox Chicago sponsored last night, against the backdrop of a lawsuit filed earlier in the day yesterday by one of the more high-profile and disturbing violent attacks on a Chicago resident in the last year, and that was when Dakota Early, this culinary student, was attacked for his phone in Lincoln Park and shot multiple times point blank range and left for dead yeah and miraculously and thankfully he survived his mom and he showed up for a press conference yesterday announcing a lawsuit by the way dakota early uh 14 surgeries so far lost part of one of his legs Mm -hmm. and you know he's such a sweet kid oh my so happy to be alive so appreciative and and he's also very honest about how how much of a struggle the recovery's been, and it's just you know he's ten months into it. And why you know why don't we talk? And the, especially the candidates, this is basic stuff. Talk about a case like Dakota Early, and particularly because he sued the city. If I was a, a mayoral candidate yesterday, I would have said, you know what, I'm not going to comment on whether he has a legitimate legal claim, but I will comment on this. He has an absolutely legitimate moral claim, he and his mom, for what happened to him and what's happened to this city. Brought in on a wheelchair with his mother behind him, a place she's been for months since that fateful day Dakota Early found himself targeted by a gunman on the city's north side. You know, that night that Dakota was attacked, um, he was on his way to his grandmother's house. And my mom was waiting up for him, and he never showed up. The now 24-year-old speaking out for the first time about his road to recovery. It was hard, but I battled through it, of course. As he prepares for another battle, this time in court, against the city of Chicago after being shot in a violent attack captured on surveillance video. He underwent several surgeries, had part of his leg amputated, and now left with ongoing medical issues. You know, it is kind of crazy that they went on a spree of terrorizing people and robbing them and whatnot. That alleged crime spree, now the basis of a new civil rights lawsuit filed today, arguing the city's police pursuit policy led to early becoming the target of violent thieves. Thieves who had been on a crime spree of stolen vehicles and armed robberies for days. At the time, Chicago police said nine incidents were connected between May 4th and May 6th of last year, which was the day early was shot at least three times. It's kind of just like, I can't believe this is happening. And I just remember 
kind of passing out when I was on the floor after like the last bullet. Right. And so the police did not pursue these suspects because who who has a rule in place? Mayor Lightfoot about they, police chases. They so had, they let them go, and then look what happened. They had the suspects identified. People refreshing people's there. recollection. They were there. And, and they so, let him go, and then an hour later, he right. killed or tried to kill Dakota Early. Right. His cell phone, people. Right. God. So he absolutely has a moral case. And uh, I hope his lawyers can make out a colorable legal claim, too. Maybe that's the only thing that gets the city. Actually, it won't get us. It won't get the city's response. But but certainly as a candidate. uh, It is malpractice. If you don't humanize issues that are so compelling, that are so front and center to get beyond the argument about data and. And yet, what did we hear last night? Several of your rivals suggest that hiring more police either isn't feasible or it's going to take too long or it's just a bad idea. Yet you make it one of the centerpieces of your campaign. Why? Well, look, we're 1,700 police officers down from 2019 and 406,000 911 calls did not have a car available, including 32,000 assaults and batteries in progress. There is a lack of police officers. I believe that if you replace the current superintendent, if you return them to a normal schedule, if they know they're going to have the right support, I believe you will be able to slow the exodus of officers while filling the ranks. And then if you bring back retired officers and invite officers who have transferred to other districts to come back without penalty, I believe you will quickly remove, um, fill the ranks, and then you will be able to push the officers down so you have not only beat integrity, but you also have Chicago police officers walking the CTA platforms and at the CTA stations. Yeah, I mean... Bring back those officers like the one we interviewed last week. One of the 106 that want to come back. I'm glad that was mentioned, but that that's just still... He's, he's got to get, you know, his four points in rather than making a moral claim. Dakota Early just filed, and his mom just filed this lawsuit today. And, uh, again, without commenting on the um, legal merits of it, they are absolutely morally correct to do so. Well, what about what him ha- saying? What happened to Dakota Early mm-hmm. shouldn't have happened, shouldn't happen to anybody. And so much of these violent crimes, these tragic crimes that eliminate a young person's life or irreparably change it, as is the case of Dakota Early, are preventable. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. There is an agreement on Lori Lightfoot's desk. It's been sitting there for two months to bring 106 Chicago police officers who left the force for suburban districts back. They want to come back. There's a deal, you know, you know, agreement and principle in place, and it's been sitting on her desk for two months. We all know that there are not enough police here. We know from the lack of responses to hundreds of thousands of 911 calls. We know from what people are saying in neighborhoods that are terrorized by endemic violent crime. We know this. And yet Lori Lightfoot has this agreement that could help the situation right now. Everybody talks about we need to respond right now. We need to do things right now. Well, this is one of the things we can do right now. And it's inexplicable to me that she won't act when there's an opportunity to act to increase the peace in Chicago by bringing these trained officers back to Chicago. That's the way, in my view, just my view, what do I know? You answer a question 
or you you seize an issue like that, you bring in Dakota early, you remind people of something that is horrific that happens every day in this city and and is inexcusable. You point to something concrete that could be done right now, and she is a hurdle to getting that done, which is why she needs to be replaced by me because I'll sign that order on day one. Bingo. Not that would your, be so much more effective than what we just heard. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, you know, like I said, it's not that I don't like Vallis, but it's just, it's, I, 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 these campaigns are infuriating to watch, particularly the two candidates that uh, are, uh, that, you know, that I would consider, I mean, if I was serious about it, uh, Vallis and Wilson. They're just like, they, there's, there's talent there. There's stories there for both of those guys. And they're just not properly leveraged. And, you know, again, with where the the polling suggests this race is, you got four, probably five candidates that all could be in that 15 to 20 percent range coming into February 28th. Then it's a, a turnout mm. game, a serendipity game. I mean, that, you could have you could have Lightfoot and Chewy. You could have uh, you could have Brandon Johnson and Chewy or Brandon Johnson and Lightfoot. You could have no cards in your hand. And it's and it and both Vallis and uh, Wilson have paths to the runoff, but there's just no alacrity in pursuing them right now. I mean, I th- I know they don't agree with me; they think they are. But as an outside observer, I'm giving you a concrete example. You, they can feel free to disagree, as can you. But you hear enough of these answers, and you see enough missed opportunities. And I'm not just talking about it in a debate. That needs to be amplified by the ads on TV. I mentioned this when we talked about this a little bit earlier on the show. Paul Vallis has to have Lori Lightfoot in the runoff if he's in the runoff. It's the only candidate he can be. And he's not laid a glove on Chewy Garcia. How, how do you explain that? If, if it's Paul Vallis and Chewy Garcia, he gets rolled. Vallis does. But if it's Paul Vallis, Mayor Lightfoot, he's got a shot. He's got. That's yeah. the only one he's got a shot at. What about Brandon Johnson? Oh, no, no. If, if Brandon Johnson wins, I am seriously considering moving out of Chicago. Brand, yeah, Brandon Johnson. Because that, he's a— he, He's an ideologue. Oh, yeah. He's like—so so Chewy Garcia is a useful idiot, and, and I do mean that in the communist sense of the, the phrase. Brandon Johnson is on the Politburo. He's an ideologue. So city income tax, I mean, out and proud, using the phrase tax the rich and so on and so forth, which is always a euphemism for tax everybody, particularly middle income where all the money is. And and so that guy would expedite the demise of the city even more than Lightfoot and Garcia because he's also a defund the police guy. Right. He's a defund the police, take officers out of schools. And he thinks that the rich are 100,000 if you make 100,000. Three and a half percent. I mean, three and a half percent city income tax. That's his proposal. Head taxes on businesses, the whole thing. It was gone through last night. Um, There were some moments for uh, Willie in particular, like Willie Wilson responding to Lori Lightfoot saying, you know, we are getting the trades in the schools and giving kids the opportunity to go to the trades on February 27th. We're going to host our second annual trade fair for CPS students. And Willie said this. Well, look, the mayor said she got a program going on the 27th. Well, she's going to be gone by the 28th. Oh, 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 my. Hey, hey, good, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's true. Well, oh, hopefully that woke it is. up the crowd. 
Uh, also, on uh, when the issue turned back to migrants, you know, these same questions asked. Flannery tried to improve the quality of the debate, but it didn't really happen. Uh, the migrants and, that are being housed at the school in Woodlawn and the yeah. whole sanctuary city thing. Uh, here's what uh, Lightfoot said about that. I can put every single one of these able-bodied adults to work today if the federal government would give them the authorization to work. It's not right, it's not fair, and frankly, it's un-American that we invite these folks here, we let them live legally um, in our cities, but then we don't allow them to work and be able to take care of themselves and take care of their families. That is the number one issue that we're facing. I've talked to the White House about it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. They're not allowed to work? They don't have work permits. The, you know, because they're not right. oh, they're yeah. not legal residents. Uh, um, what are they doing? Twiddling their thumbs and just eating our food. It's uh, <laughs> eating every everything is the pantry. Every problem Chicago faces is somebody else's responsibility, other than the mayor's. That was the the theme of Lori Lightfoot's responses last night. But okay, she talked to the White House about the migrant issue. Yeah. Here's what Willie said. I'm a little different. Look, the mayor said she talked to the White House. But she didn't talk to the people in Chicago, period. Look, I'm for helping all people, but we got to help the ones at home first. I, I, I cannot invite someone into my house unless I know who it is and prepare to take care of them. I'm, I'm not uh, with that yet. Let me be able to take care of home first. Then I can invite somebody to my home, right? If you're going to go and ask somebody for 50 million dollars, down in Springfield, Washington, D.C., she haven't asked people for a fifty million million to help the people right here. And they, they're out on the street. So I, I, uh, I, I just don't agree with that. I think you got to take care of home first. Like me and Mayor, we're going to take care of the citizens of Chicago first and prepare for anybody else that moved in. Representative Buckner, thank you. Yeah, that's, um, those are the moments of clarity that uh, make Willie attractive to me. 312-642-5600 is our turnkey.pro answer line. You could also text us at 64636. Type in DA and then a quick comment. One more uh, Willie moment. Okay. Uh, queried uh, about his uh, uh, generosity. I thought this was pretty good for him, too. Willie Wilson, you can't give away free food and gas forever. What are you going to do as mayor? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. In the last 35 or 40 years, I've given away over 60 to $70 million wow. to a lot of people who's hungry, a lot of people who lost loved ones, a lot of people have paid people taxes because the city haven't done what they're supposed to do. Face masks came, nobody had it. Gave away $60 million face masks because I could have made at least $60 million bucks on it. Didn't charge nobody anything for it, all right? The mayor couldn't do it, didn't do it. You got to lower the taxes. You got to get rid of the crime. You got to understand business. It may not be fair for you to ask me that question because I'm the only business person up here. Yeah. So I understand business. I know the struggle of business. I am a business, right? And you got to take and deal with these situations the right way. You got to have an anchor downtown for, for big business because big business creates a lot of small Thank business. Thank you. Wow. Uh-huh. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody dress on nobody is at work downtown, by the way. It's only 50% occupancy right now. Uh, Steve, Northwest Side, you're on Chicago's morning. Oh, hello. Hey, Steve. Listen, 
Hi, listen. All this talk about from Vale, all of these politicians talking about hiring more police, bringing back retired police, it's all smoke. It's all smoke. And the reason it's all smoke is because they need to do several other things. They need to get a competent state's attorney. They need to get a competent chief's judge, a competent sheriff. They need to get rid of this organization called COPA that does everything they can do to force people like that copper you had on last week, that young man who I tried to get through to call you and commend him that wants to get back on the job. I don't know why, but God bless him. The police department is a small cog in a big wheel. And until you get the other components of that criminal, it's not even a criminal justice system, until you get the other components of that criminal justice system in function, doing their job, you could put a million coppers on the streets of Chicago and nothing's going to happen. Well, and that's what gets me. Yeah, thanks for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I agree to some extent with that, but um, so and we talked about this. Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times now. The the answer is here's what I could do as mayor. And also you would be nice if any of these mayoral candidates and not one has done it would say, and we have exactly what Steve said. We've got a problem with the Cook County state's attorney's office with the Cook County state's attorney who is not on the same page as I am with respect to what needs to happen to stop repeat violent offenders from violently offending. And we got a problem, and and actually Lightfoot, of all people, made a reference to the Cook County court system yesterday in this topic. didn't say her name. Uh, well, and didn't say Tim Evans' name either, but she made a reference to the Cook County court system. So, yeah, you're, you're right. You need to use the bully pulpit to also call out and draw attention to the other uh, parts of the justice system and the public safety system by extension. Sheriff Dart, too. Absolutely. But uh, it would make a difference would make somewhat of a difference, even on the margins, if you had 106 uh, experienced Chicago police officers back on the beat, if you if if the police department had rules of engagement that allowed them to safely provide for other people's safety, if they felt like these political authorities had their back. Uh, and so, I mean, there are, there are certain, you know, I, I think you, that you can distinguish what is possible with a mayor and then what is additionally necessary with other elected officials who have other responsibilities. Larry and Carol Stream. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, I agree totally with everything that that previous caller said and uh, the way you summarized it so well. I'm just wondering what, how many police officers, and I guess city workers in general, did they lay off who refused to take COVID tests? That's got to be another bunch of cops they could bring back who are experienced and know how to work. Thanks a lot of them got religious exemptions so that they could go back to work. Yeah. Some that had never been to church. <laughs> But hey, you got to feed your family, and if you don't want to get vaccinated, you do what you have to do. Yeah, because well, as it turns out, vaccines aren't what they said that they were. Not to sound like Dennis Green. Well, um, living in this city, you better find religion right quick. Dan and Amy, Chicago's morning answer. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Open mic. Open mic. Call it now. Open mic Friday. That time of the week. 
Dan and Amy's Open Mic Friday. Give us a call, 312-642-5600. Turkey.pro answer line, Turkey.pro answer line, that is, with your calls, with comments, compliments, concerns, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. Uh, I will begin. Okay. Just with this is with just a PSA. Don't miss the McHenry County Lincoln Leadership Dinner. That's tomorrow night at the Crystal Lake Holiday Inn. Oh, wait. Who's going to be the keynote speaker? I will be delivering the keynote address. Okay. So, but there will also be a silent auction and a Second Amendment raffle, so that's something to come out for. Tickets on sale now and available at 560theanswer.com slash Lincoln. 560theanswer.com slash Lincoln tomorrow night at the uh, Crystal Lake Holiday Inn, the McHenry County Lincoln Leadership Dinner. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll go sneak on Gary Rabine's course in Bull Valley. Oh, yeah. Woodstock. It's going to be nice this week. We're going to hunt down. We'll hunt uh, hunt, uh, Woodstock Willie. Oh, that's right. Hunt him down. (laughs) All right, I have something I want to get off my chest. All right. We have found the biggest Karen in Lakeview. So this woman, I don't know if you heard this story earlier this week, she was walking her two pit bulls off leash. Okay, we have a leash law in Chicago for a reason. And she walked by this man, the dog's started growling, and he was fearing for his life and ran into the alley, and they charged after him. And he's a concealed carry owner and FOID card member, or has this FOID card, pulled out his gun and shot the dogs in self-defense. One died, one's still in the hospital. Um, that's, but she That's but, a good shoot. No, Right, that's justified, and he's not going to be charged. But this woman lost her mind and called police and said, like, there's a gunman on the loose in Chicago. So- Schools were shut down. I kept getting alerts. Choppers are overhead. SWAT team, the tank, was out on the streets on George Street, was rolling oh. down the street like they were storming Roger Stone's house. I thought we said that to Ukraine. Ninja Turtle yeah. guys, you know, and the SWAT members. And it turns out the guy, after he shot the dogs, he was scared he ran into his house because, you know, he it was a traumatic situation. Yeah. But she acted like the world, you know, the, the mass gunman was out. Rather than it being her fault for not having her dogs on leash, pit bulls especially, and then they were a, yeah. a, poised to attack this guy. Yeah, all right. She's and did she, a, get a, did she get a ticket for I don't violating know. the leash law? Uh, she should. She better, because she was at fault for that. that. None of that had to happen. And literally, it was choppers overhead. You you wouldn't believe the scene. And I even got a call from California asking me if I was okay. And I said, what? They said, there's some gunman on the loose. Well, that's every day in Chicago. Oh, well. Bill and Waukegan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan and Amy. Good morning. I just wanted to say that uh, this legacy uh, book that uh, Commissioner David Brown or Sheriff David Brown, whatever his title is, is putting together. I bet. What do you guys think the over and under is and how many pages it is? Uh, well, uh, my guess. I just hope it's available on Amazon. You know, I'd like to pick up a copy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, my guess. Yeah, my guess it's going to be like a little three-fold pamphlet, and it says, like, don't come to Chicago, be careful, and always look to your back. Right. Was Thanks he ever, a lot, guys. I love you guys. Thanks for the call, Bill. Was he ever really here? I mean, yeah. he's always on flights to Dallas. It'll be about the thickness of that uh, pamphlet on great Jewish athletes from Airplane. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave and Racine. Greetings, Dan and Amy. Uh, in remembrance of the late Burt Bacharach, uh, one tune that might be overlooked, the theme from the movie The Blob. Uh-huh. Steve McQueen, it's not only a cautionary Valentine's Day tune, but also a Pritzker walk-up tune. Sing, sing it for a few bars for us. 
Beware of the blob, it creeps, it leaps, it slides, it glides across the wall, the floor, a glitch, a boom, a dump, a bump, a bump. Very good. Thank you, Dave. Very, very good. Yeah. All right. Other Burt Backrack songs callers want to sing for us? 312-642-5600. Eduardo Midway. Yeah, Dan and Amy, uh, this um, 76-year-old Arizona rancher is getting a $1 million bond because he shot an illegal coming through his ranch. And I just saw in Daily Mail yesterday, the uh, I don't want to say the name of the gang, but it's the one that has new generation. So they got uh, businesses up from uh, California, like a supermarket to a car wash, all the way stretching to Pennsylvania across the U.S. So hopefully this is something that's going to be on the FBI's list. Thanks for the call, Eduardo. Uh, Kevin, Austin, Texas. Raindrops are falling on my head. Oh, there you go. There's another one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the rest of the song? You do I, not know. And are you are you dancing like Gene Kelly I don't as know you're singing? The words. I was, actually, I was <laughs> actually looking up the lyrics to try to yes. get. Yes. Uh, I had the same yeah, problem. All the Butch yeah. Cassidy soundtrack. Yeah, that's yeah. enough. That's good. That's it was a, a great one. Anyhow, I, a couple of comments on repar- uh, reparations. Uh, I think they should give every child uh, of slaves an education savings account. So they're going to have money and freedom to choose where they send their child. Uh, so that's one thing on that. And I'm curious. Well, that's a good, that's be... a good way to do it. Yeah, here's your right. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm for reparations in the form of opportunity scholarships for, uh, yeah, for for black families and, and every family. But let's start with black families that you know incomes below a hundred grand. Let's say, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You want you want money and freedom? Here you go. Right. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you is: Is there going to be a conservative activist to fund uh, canvassing, like especially in DuPage, to identify conservative voters and go around the Illinois GOP? Because it's the boring uh, work of identifying these people, maybe paying for an app so that you can uh, get those voters out. Because I think they're out there. I mean, yeah. let's let's work around the Illinois GOP, like you said. Yeah, yep, yep. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, Mark in the Western Burbs. Yeah. Hey. Good morning, Dan. Right before the break, you said you know the Chicagoans better get religion, and I would love one of those candidates to adopt a slogan: um, "Love God and love your neighbor." What a difference that would make in Chicago. All right. Thanks for the call, Mark. And also. One of the candidates should take a firm stand against using the phrase "kill two birds with one stone," oh, right? And use the phrase um, "feed two birds with a scone." Yes, yeah, feed two birds with one scone. That's right. <laughs> a petite scone. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. That's really getting That's... to the heart of the matter. <laughs> Violent cliches. Yeah. Uh, John in Janesville. Um, hello, Dan and Amy. This is uh, Dr. Fauci, <laughs> a.k.a. Dr. Death, a.k.a. Minnie Mingler, <laughs> a.k.a. Science. And I just wanted to uh, encourage your <laughs> listeners to go out and get the boosters because not only does it prevent them from getting the COVID, but it also gives them va-va-boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good, John. Thanks for the call. Uh... Uh-huh. The other John in Bridgeport. Yeah, Dan. Hi, Amy. Hey, real quick, Dan, listen. Don't don't think um, Chewy is impervious here if he runs against Fauci. There's so much stuff on him about being incompetent, 
If he runs Be, against Fauci. If he runs against Fauci. Chewy versus Vallis. Vallis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You said Fauci. I stand to be corrected. Yeah. Oh, oh I stand to be corrected. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, but from him, from his family being part of the of, of the street gang, to him not being able to run anything, the only the only thing he ever did was go to the media and say, "I, I don't like Alderman Burke." And then it's going to take more than that to get the Rogers Park vote, to get even the Hyde Park vote, and 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 that type of thing. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a pot to piss in money wise in comparison to other candidates. I sort of feel that uh, Vallis, there's a lot of room for Vallis just to go after him and knock him out right right away. Yeah, but that's well, my opinion. Well, thanks for the call, John. I mean, uh, theoretically, I I could see that perspective, um, but then then practically. Has Paul Vallis demonstrated the willingness to go after anybody? No, he's kind of and coasting through this a little bit. And um, and also, you know, in a runoff, the dynamics completely change when right. you go from nine to two. So the public sector unions won't be divided; they'll be uniformly behind Chewy. So there's the money mm-hmm. question that's solved. Um, and you know, the institutional interests, starting with the public sector unions, uh represent a broad cross-section of the minority vote, including the black vote in the city. So he has an institutional base for the black vote that I don't really think Paul Vallis has. Uh, I think that, and, and, and by the way, we act like February 28th and then the runoff, like there's a lot of time. Now you're saying you've let Chewy and the other candidates, you've let them run untouched, particularly Chewy. I mean, Lightfoot hit him a little bit, but particularly Chewy gets to run untouched so far in this primary. And then you're going to place a definition on him in four weeks that uh, has that is going to overcome people's perception of him built up uh, over three decades in public office, second go around in a runoff for mayor big congressional district that incorporates a lot of the city, plus the identity politics of Latino combined with public sector union. I mean, it's possible, but that is a steep incline, it would seem to me. But, you know, I mean, you know, what do I know? Nobody listens to me, so that's fine. We'll just see if I'm right. Fine. I can live with it either way, but we'll see. Uh, Bob and Edison Park. Yeah, I'm I'm back in Willie all the way, Dan. You know, uh, Paul Vallis, his, and you could give me the information on this. Has Paul Vallis ever had a job that wasn't a government job? I mean, and, and Willie called it right at the debate. He is self-made. He made the money. And people go, he was buying votes, buying votes. Paul politicians buy votes. The difference is Willie bought votes with his own money. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he put his own money on the line. He didn't put taxpayer money on the line. And Vallis, he may be a great chess club president or uh, computer club president. I don't think he's got what it takes to be mayor. He was tied in with the dailies. You could see, like in my neighborhood, the old remnants of the Democratic machine, the Madigan daily machine. They're all coming out for Vallis. And basically on the ethnic issue, and you've called it, a lot of people call it, I don't see him in a head-to-head runoff beating any of the other Top three, four challengers. I, I just don't see it. Willie's the man. Thanks for the call, Bob. Uh, Joe and Palatine. 
Yes, I, I want to thank both of you for your normalcy to civilization. I just want to commend both of you because you put in a lot of work to do your shows. Um, here's my question. That poor Texas rancher that they're holding a million-dollar bond on, nobody's answered this question on Fox. How could the judge presiding over this case, he doesn't even have a law degree. How does he even sit on a bench? Would you guys happen to know the answer to that? Uh Admit, it's, it, uh, no, I don't know the answer offhand because I didn't know that the administrative judge that uh, adjudicated this case. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know that to be true. I'll take your word for it. But I guess in some administrative positions within government, you don't necessarily need to have a law degree. But that's unusual, particularly with respect to adjudicating federal law. I, I'd have to look into it, Joe. I, I don't know offhand. Thanks for All right. Well, thank you. Thank you two very, very much between you two and Sean and all the others on this station. I just love you. Listen to you guys. You're just a, you're just normalcy to me. Thanks for the call. Well, Joe. Thanks, you, Joe. You know, the um, I appreciate that, Joe. You know, the only um, you know, the only court in the land where you don't need a law degree to be a judge. Where? Supreme Court of the United oh, States. Oh, that's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The founders in their infinite wisdom. And I mean that sincerely. George in Naperville. How about the Burt Backrack song that would be perfect for Valentine's Day that Herb Albert made famous? This guy's in love. This guy's in love with you. Oh, George, I'm touched. Oh, thank you so much. Get a pajama gram with that and everything yeah. will be great. The naturally nude pajama gram. Yeah. Have George, a pajama gram deck. George, uh, stay on the line. We'll get your size. <laughs> Uh, Bob and Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, uh, Amy and Dan. Thanks for getting to me this morning. You started the discussion today talking about the congressional investigations, the FBI and the Justice Department. Let me offer that I hope they continue and might Ray Epps be brought before the committee to explain his involvement in January 6th. And I'd even go further. How about bringing up Nancy and her involvement with regards to not bringing the police, uh, Capitol Police there. Um, and, um, the National Guard. Or, yeah. the National Guard and uh, I heard a report that uh, that the police and the National Guard was included, was discussed in the um, investigation, but it was not included in the final report. What's well, going on? Well, thanks for the call, Bob. And, and this is part of the uh, and Julie Kelly and others, call, many others calling for all the video surveillance of January 6th, all the tapes to be released. Mm -hmm. Let's see everything. And we absolutely should. Why not? Text from 773, uh, Chewy would be a horrid self-proclaimed socialist. Well, he, he already is a horrid self-proclaimed right. socialist. So, so he, he'll be what he is as mayor. No, I got that. Uh, I think my only point was previously that, that Brandon Johnson is much more ideological. He's got big transformative plans. Chuy Garcia will just keep us going down this road to serfdom, but at a at a at a nice gentle gate because you know he doesn't have the work ethic to go faster. He, I mean, he's, he's a, a he's a flunky. A, right. He he's a socialist. Accomplished nothing. He's a socialist, but he's a tool. Brandon Johnson is you know a, a new Marxist with some motivation, and whatever. It's just a matter of the pace at which you arrive at the same place. But that's the case with all of those candidates, except for Vallis and Wilson. Rich in Indian Head Park. Yes, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I have a quick question. Maybe you can answer this. 
Do we know how many abortions uh, were performed uh, solely to protect the lives of the mother? You guys have a nice weekend. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Rich. I do not know. It's it's infinitesimal. I don't even consider that an abortion because the doctor is acting to save life, which is what the doctor should do. Uh, this, this, this like life of the mother exception, which is why they make it a health of the mother. And people think it's life of the mother. It's again, their wordplay, like we were talking about with, uh, Dr. Shiro Wubenhorst, uh, last hour. It's not it's life of the mother. They do health of the mothers because that's just open-ended and anything that a doctor describes pro-abortion doctor and abortionist describes can be then, uh, carved out literally and figuratively under that. Quote, a quote-unquote exception. All right, Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin, to close it out. Oh, Chuck? We, in one week, we went from talking about confidential papers to balloons. Hey, all to, this is to, just to all your punk rock listeners, give you a heads up. they got a big slam dance tomorrow night in downtown Lake Geneva. Rhetoric Vendetta is going to be there at Magpies. They're going to be singing Dark Passenger, Lights of Fuse, <laughs> Everything is Nothing, and you're dead to me. And uh, there's, there's no headbutting allowed. You are allowed to slam dance. You can jump up and slam dance. No headbutting allowed. Okay? Yeah. Hey, Dan, got that? Sounds like a great night. Thanks for the call, yeah. Chuck. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.